Welcome back, everybody. It is episode four discussion time. Not quite halfway through the season. Things are really heating up, you could say. Pun intended. You know how we do it here. We always intend those puns, even when we don't. Welcome back, Sean. What did you think of the episode? We'll just jump right in and give give our initial impressions and not worry about too much about the preamble. You guys, if you're watching episode four review with us, you probably, this is probably not your first History of Westeros experience. So let's not waste any time. Uh, I think that this is a boring episode with nothing to talk about. <laughs> so. This will be a very short review. We're just going to stop right <laughs> now. <laughs> no, it was awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. I really awesome. liked it. I felt like uh, almost every scene was stirring thoughts up in me and uh, didn't have a lot of silly action. Uh, maybe you could nitpick about the, the very end there, but uh, but I wouldn't even bother. Um, it was... Uh, very cerebral, I think. There's a lot of dis- interesting discussions yeah, between the characters. Yeah. It was emotional in ways that were maybe unexpected. And again, despite it being pretty epic, it's still just setting things up for the, for the rest of the season. Yeah, there's certain things about it that I'm almost like hesitant. I don't know how much I want to talk about certain things because it can evoke like political discussion. Yeah. You know what yeah, Philosophical yeah, sure. discussion. A lot of stuff, especially with Tyrion and uh, yep. Marine, the stuff going on there. Is... Even in the behind the episode, the show creators brought up Abraham Lincoln yeah. in the real life like yeah. slavery debate, you know, and how that went down. So yeah, it is, uh, you're right. It is, there's some real world touchiness in here as well, as, as well as something that we won't touch on, but is going on. A lot of you are aware of this. We'll touch, we'll touch on this in the book to show review. A lot of people are unhappy with, a lot of book readers are unhappy with some of that. So book readers, you'll have to be patient, though. This is a show-only review, of course. We'll discuss all that on Wednesday. We're going to focus on what this means just as a standalone. And that's very important, by the way. Show canon is not book canon. Some things that people were expecting or weren't expecting happened. But hey, the show is its own animal. For better or for worse, that's what it is. We're on, we're on line with that. We're fine with that. So we're going to discuss it that way. You know, uh, in addition to uh, Tyrion, but also in uh, King's Landing, this the whole thing with the Sparrow, by the way, this idea of, like, the common man and the power of the people, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like a, uh, I want to say Spartan, but I don't know if Spartan's quite the idea, but, you know, leveling of classes. Uh, mm. um, like, I don't know if the Sparrow necessarily thinks that everyone should live in rags on the streets, but I do think he thinks everyone should live more equally than Modestly, they do. Yeah, right, wealth you know? is bad and, to right. a certain degree. It's yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you know, and you that's part of society and culture. And and I don't know how much the showmakers or Martin in the first place are trying to make social commentary, but it can't help but grow out of this. I think. Yeah, you, know? you can't. It's too. It's too real. There's too many things that are similar to real world problems, because. Game of Thrones does a good job, books and show, at capturing the conflict within the human heart and how they deal with that. And that's what this is about more than it is the the dragons and the dire wolves. And I, the thought it <laughs> I thought it was about sword fighting. I thought it was about sword fighting. Well, have I got a surprise for you? <laughs> no, the so there's just there's a lot of that going on in this episode as well. I thought the the title is a little interesting. It's called The Book of the Stranger, and. It's not as obvious what that means in terms of some of the episode titles are a little more straightforward. Like home, Oathbreaker. Like those yeah. are really just like you kind of know what that means. But the Book of the Stranger is a little more, that's a little more nebulous. It's a little more meta. And, but, and I'm not sure, some of the things that I perceived of as themes for this episode, I'm not sure how they line up with the Book of the Stranger as a title, but that doesn't bother me. I'm just curious. One thing about this title is it might be a little more unique to this world. 
right? Mm. Something like Oathbreaker has meaning outside of Game of Thrones. That's true. Right? And home, right? But the Book of the Stranger is a, a particular god. And yeah. I'm kind of guessing the Book of the Stranger might have particular passages. Uh, like the one Marjorie quoted, right. yeah. And so you might even have particular insight to meaning of the Book of the Stranger. Sure. You know, uh, I don't know if that's even something maybe you've covered uh, elsewhere. We, I know you've talked about religion a lot. Right, we, we never have covered the seven specifically as a religion. Uh, we, we intended to before, but the World of Ice and Fire came out and everything changed. We haven't gotten mm -hmm. back to that. One day maybe we'll get back to that. But yeah, it's one, one problem is that the faith of the seven is uh, there's, there's no magic associated <laughs> with them. We wanted to deal with the more magical religions, the ones that are a little more creepy and, and less Fantastic. like real religion. Like yeah. the, the, the seven is clearly based on has aspects of, you know, the darker times of, say, Catholicism and the earlier times of Christianity, more Catholicism than anything, but other forms of Christianity, other religions as well. I mean, the religion of Relore has some things in common with Zoroastrianism. George is drawn on real-world religions for a lot of these things, but of course it makes sense, him being raised in a Catholic family, that Catholicism would be the, the strongest streak in there. But again, this isn't modern Catholicism that he's that it's it's like. It's like medieval Catholicism, which is very judgmental and especially about things like sexuality. And there's a bit of a maybe a little bit of a Spanish Inquisition feel going on here. Not nearly as brutal, which is surprising. You think you think Game of Thrones is gonna be more brutal than real life generally, but and here we are talking about real world comparisons, just like mm -hmm. you said. So some of the other things, the themes of this episode that I thought were interesting, there was a lot of compromise. People having to work with their enemies, people coming together, and there's a bit of a reunion theme as well. Um, obviously, John and Sansa is the big one, but there's also you know Littlefinger coming back to to see uh, Robert Aaron, and you know some other ones as well. Danny and and Jorah and Dario are reunited. Danny even going back to. Vos Dothrak? Yeah, Vos Dothrak. That's yeah, a, yeah. sort of a reunion, I guess. You know? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, she's yeah, she's like, I've been here before. <laughs> I know how this all works. I'm going to get you. <laughs> Prepare to burn. So we'll start, unlike, well, sort of like the other episodes this season, we begin at the wall. Unlike the other episodes this season, we do not end at the wall. Every other episode so far this season has started and ended at the wall. This episode started at the wall, finished with fire instead of ice. Kind of cool. A lot of fire, really. Um, quite a lot of fire. Uh, but we will talk about that at the end. We're going to start with the ice. We're going to start at the frozen north. And the opening scene is John and Ed. This is we were something we kind of talked about. We ex sort of expected this to at least come up. Ed being disappointed that John's leaving, and they kind of have a little argument about it. It's interrupted by the arrival of Sansa, which just changes everything. John, soon after, John's not not talking about leaving anymore. <laughs> He's talking about, all right, yep, got to save Rickon. It's kind of like you know those old movies. Uh, that joke is because just when I'm out, they pull me back in. John took that to the next level. Just when <laughs> I'm dead, they, they resurrect me and me back. bring me back. <laughs> it's like that's a. Pacino and Godfather 3, I'm pretty sure. Is right, where that yeah, I couldn't remember from. where that came from, but it's, it's been parodied so many yeah. times that I, I couldn't help but think of that here. <laughs> so, but it's really strong, too, because John, he goes through, he goes through all the, the, he kind of relates to Ed all the, in a, just in a quick sentence, all the things that have gone wrong for him, all the things that have been terrible. And it really is quite a list. You know, he talks about how he had to kill people that he had respect for. And at first you think maybe Alfred's number, no, he's talking, probably talking about Corrin Halfhand. 
Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, he had yeah. to kill to infiltrate the wildlings. And then he has to hang Ollie, who is a boy younger than Bran. And yeah, that is hard. <laughs> and of course, when we none of us can sympathize specifically with what it's like to be murdered. That that isn't going to help his his feelings on but the matter. But it's a little easier for me to sympathize with having killed someone I admire. <laughs> oh wait, I should say it on here. Uh, Too late. Edit that out and no, post. no, no. Yeah. We're posting that. We're posting that. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's really interesting. I thought it was um, a very moving scene. The music really added to it, and John and Sansa's reunion was neat because they really were never a thing before, and but just because their family and and their experiences individually have been so awful. It was just it was just such a relief for them to see each other, even though they never really had much in common growing up. They didn't, you know, Sansa, like she says, she's like, you got to forgive me for how I yeah, treated you. Yeah. <laughs> and John's like, that's nothing compared to what I've been through. Like, you get a sense that he's like, yeah, it was kind of crappy how you treated me, but, but I've been through the, yeah. <laughs> all this, like, being treated bad by my sister. I wish someone would treat me like you were like, treating me. <laughs> yeah, that's nothing compared to being stabbed by his own, you know, brotherhood and seeing the dead walk and having to kill a young boy that he loved etc yeah like seeing the dead walk memories of his (laughs) (laughs) yeah himself (laughs) he just has to look at him it's like oh crap i'm walking uh so so yeah what did you did you uh did that have a similar impact for you the the emotional uh resonance of that scene being strong of course it was kind of interesting how they set it up with a little humor there brienne and uh Brandon Torman getting a look. It was a nice balance of, of um, comic relief with this emotional moment. Love at first sight. So I, I swear, this soon they like saw each other, like, oh. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. He, it was love at first sight for him. She yeah. put her hand on her sword. <laughs> She's like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not a brother in the Night's Watch. <laughs> that guy's not wearing black. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a great scene, and it, it did occur to me as it started unfolding uh that it's been seasons years it's been years since we as viewers since we've seen these characters together and then like it was the maybe only one time or something i don't remember when, for when sure, the baratheons arrived it yeah. was like the second episode when they left right when she went south and john went north yeah <laughs> i don't even remember if they ever spoke a word to each other i don't, I don't specifically remember an interaction between them i'm really sure there's some scene did, where yeah. like the Starks are all standing together and Robert comes up or whatever, but I don't remember them I think actually that's it. interacting. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I don't think they did. I never think they, I think they said zero words to each other in the in the show prior to the and, uh, prior to the scene. And I'll say it's been like a a feeling or a hope or an expectation throughout the show for characters who've been scattered to the winds to reunite. Yeah. And uh just often, any little bit of stark happiness is we've yeah, been so starved yeah. for that. And uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, these characters don't even know each other. Oh, it's so happy for them, you know. And it's like, they don't hardly even know each other. <laughs> it's, it's something that I, uh, I don't know how many other people are with me in that. And he's waiting for these characters to get back together. Or maybe some of them for the first time to interact. But it's, there's so many unique, distinct, interesting characters whose storylines to different degrees are intertwined. And you want so bad to see them talk to each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and um, I even, I can imagine you could have a whole episode, a whole season of Sansa and John just catching up, just <laughs> like telling their stories to each other about all the stuff that Joffrey did to me and John I, telling about 
That's uh, actually a great point because they yada yada over some of that. They just they just show us that that they've had these conversations. Yeah. That's already yeah. John has explained that he's been dead and that his brothers did this, and yeah. Sansa has explained that that her that their brothers are alive because he just says blah blah blah. These are alive. It's not explained, John. It's, it's John doesn't react to that, so he's clearly yeah. she's already told him. So that's a big piece of information. I wonder though how much she's explained about what Ramsay's done to her. I wonder how easy it is for her to talk about that, mm, yeah, especially to her own brother, because mm-hmm. he did see he didn't see. It seemed like. Her telling him about Ramsey, I think, should have been enough. And you're like, let's go. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he wasn't there yet. So he's, I wonder he's if he's... He's still got this, I want, he's one out. He's still, you yeah. know. And he before, I think it was until the until the letter. He was, she had sort of convinced him, but the letter just was like, all right, yeah, yeah. there's no way now. I gotta, I'm back in, fully. And the, and the way that John, like, was like, oh, I, she can't read this. Sounds like, give me that. Yeah, <laughs> you don't know. Whatever you think you're reading, it's happened to me already. Give me that. You know, yeah. I, that's kind of why I think that she maybe didn't go into detail of what Ramsey had done to her. You know, uh, it's but a bit she of a knew theme. that that would be yeah. It's a bit of a theme uh, in this episode is the women being stronger than the men. The men kind of crumpling a bit, um, kind of losing their nerve. Loras, John, yeah. Sans has to bring him in. The uh, certainly Jorah and Daria don't lose their nerve, but Danny they come to rescue her, and Danny takes over immediately, saying, "No, this is what we're doing." Yeah. <laughs> so that's not them being weak. In fact, they're being quite strong by Cersei, sticking in there. But so, yeah, Cersei um, over. Uh, yep, they're Pycelle and Tommen and yep. even uh, and Asha and uh, or Yara. Pardon me, using my book name there, Yara and Theon as yeah, well. Yeah. She's just he's just like weepy and holding his head down. She's like. Put your head up. Look me in the eyes. Stop saying sorry. I mean, she's yeah. just like dressing him down. And uh, in a sense, Masande and Grey Worm were kind of a team against Tyrion in that sense. And then no one really came, no one really topped the other. Well, in height they do, but <laughs> they didn't, uh, no one really kind of came out ahead. They sort of both said their pieces. And yeah. No one really got the best of that. We'll talk about that more later, but I felt yeah. like Grey Worm got the last word. He did get the yeah. last word. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I'm not sure whether he's right or not. But I think he's got a point. I think they're both right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it's I mean, Every, everyone had good points. Yeah, uh, but let's stay where we're at. You're right. We're getting ahead of ourselves. So I wanted to say one thought I had, by the way, that, that is going to like spill over to other things. <laughs> they start that shot off with the sword. Uh, yeah, long claw. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started thinking that's interesting. That's this sword it's here. It's a really nice shot. That sword looks sweet. That sword was in Jorah's hands at one point. It was. Who's mm-hmm. off with Danny now? Yeah, and uh, you, you know they did a similar shot with the knife that that Osha was trying to grab to stab Ramsey. They showed it from the same angle when she was. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that meant anything whether they were trying to parallel some sort of parallel, but I was like, yeah, it's a similar kind of a way with just focusing on the ha- the handle of the knife. You know, I wasn't sure if they meant that was intentional or they meant some sort of some sort of connection between those scenes, but I thought it was cool. I thought it was neat though to to. The, the connections, the little things tying these characters together across the world, you know, that how Jorah had had that sword and then <laughs> gave it back to his father and he gave it to Jon Snow. And, uh, you know, just think, uh, <laughs> there's also this sort of parallel uh, between uh, the harpies and Marine and the, the sparrows in King's mm, Landing. Yeah. Uh, different motivations, but still the, the troubles of the powers that be controlling the population. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that's a. We see two different leaders tackling this, and man, I shouldn't start talking about this now. Uh, but I, but I, but I was thinking about the idea because they they put that idea in my head when Tyrion said something. He was talking to the the other slave masters from the other cities, and he yeah. said, "Some slave in Westeros, and I I grew up richer than any of you." Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and it was and it, again creating that uh, difference between Tyrion. We saw that 
difference. They're, they're trying to show us how Tyrion is coming at things differently than Sunday and Grey Worm. He's, yeah. For better or worse. He's just from a different world, a different mentality, a different experience, and he, he grew up wealthy. We have other Lannisters who also, we see Cersei, who mm. also grew up wealthy, Tom and <laughs> Jamie, right? And how they're dealing with an uprising in their city. I think it's neat to, to see yeah. the differences in... Uh, these scenarios and these, the differences and similarities in these different characters and scenarios on Absolutely. other sides of the world. So we got, basically we got a, with after the Sansa John scene, we get, you know, they're, they catch up, they kind of get a little momentum. She's, you know, convinces John of what needs to be done. We have some other scenes at winter or at Castle Black that are very important. We have something that, we kind of didn't see coming that we really should have. And it's funny, like, no one even seems to have commented asking what's going to happen with this. We just, and it's kind of obvious. We didn't talk about it in book to show or show only is Brienne and Davos and Melisandre coming together. We talked about that, that we briefly talked about, I think in the preview episode, that if that ever happens, if they get together, there'll be some reckoning. We certainly talked about Davos and Melisandre and Shireen. And that came up finally before Brienne interrupts them. Yeah. But that was to me, some people were wondering why it took him so long to ask that question. Well, I, I think it, it you know, the, first of all, they were more pressing matters. Second of all, they didn't want to just spill everything out in one scene. Third of all, I think he was afraid to ask. I think he's afraid to know, he the, answer. know the answer. He doesn't he want to know. He's a little, yeah, he kind of already knows, but he's like, he finally got his courage up to ask because he's a little worked up. You know? Also, they, we pointed this out a lot. They kind of play around with time. Yeah. Uh, as far as I can tell, it's only been three days at the wall, maybe four days. Very little time has That's passed. That's true. John's packing up when we yeah. start, and he just says he's leaving. It's probably like minutes later. Yeah, well, I mean, like, day. I don't know how much time might have gone by from when, you know, he hangs the, the traitors to, like, Rian and Sansa showing up. But from the beginning of the season till the end of last episode was only two or three days. Yeah. As far as I can at tell. At the wall. Yeah. Right, at, at the, the wall. Right, yeah. at the wall. I think. Different amounts of time occurred in other Yeah, areas, and to be uh, fair, you know, it's a criticism I have of the show. They don't they play pretty fast and loose with time, and there's lots of examples of this. Sam and Gilly have been on the water forever, and Theon just got to the Iron Islands just like that, having even traveling overland for just yeah. for example. And Littlefinger just flies all over the place in his mysterious teleporter, which we've referenced many times. Something I, that we all need ourselves in real life. But a little finger? No, no, we do not need a little finger. Everyone, no. Uh, no. I think that they, I'm okay with some of it. I think that what, I can accept that what they can do is divvy out what they're showing us from something that happened in a short period of time. It didn't necessarily happen at the same time as the other scenes we're seeing. Right, like... Sam and Gilly might already be where they're going mm -hmm. compared to stuff we're watching elsewhere, yeah. but they just haven't showed us it's that the order, yet. It's storytelling. You know? Things are in certain right, order. Right. Yeah, it, 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 uh, you have to give them a little leeway, and maybe they've taken more leeway than they should have, but, you know, oh well. It's, right. it, 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 Here and there, I think things might happen that couldn't have happened, little finger traveling especially, but uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case. With, yeah. I'm not lodging any kind of complaint at the wall, merely pointing out that, Davos might not have had time yet yeah. to address Melisandre. Agree. There's a lot of there's also a lot of these challenges that they're facing as real you know in the real world, like the fact that they had cast all these young people as actors and they're growing faster than the time passes on the show. Yeah. Nothing you can do about that. Nothing yeah. you can do about the fact that Rickon, you know, doesn't look like he's six or seven. <laughs> you yeah. just you just have to say, okay, he's not six or seven, or you can say, oh, he's a really large seven year old. You just have to just kind of wrap your head around it and not. 
not worry about it too much. I I would have thought that he would be older than that anyway, and I think he should. I lost mind, track. He was ten or twelve. He still looks pretty big and tall for ten yeah, or twelve. Yeah, I've kind of lost track of how old he is. The the <clears> especially <throat> hard to keep track of two two different sets of ages when you have booking. It's it's one thing to keep your details facts straight from book to show canon, but little things like ages that are kind of fudged on the show in the first place. They're not really paying. They're kind of it's, it's kind of it's almost like why even pin that down yeah, you know? yeah. he's a young boy <laughs> yeah he's Good a enough. young whatever you know tom and all these young sam their ages just they're they have ages what then they are what they are <laughs> uh so yeah but mel and davos was really it was pretty interesting you could see that that i was kind of wondering what mel would say to that and then bran just walks over sword drawn yeah. he's like i saw it yeah i saw it i executed him you know and he admitted it you know and they're like I don't think this is going to amount to anything. I don't think there's going to be any conflict that comes from this. Maybe they'll like stare each other down from time to time and kind of like, eh. but they're all basically on Team Stark now. I mean, Sansa's pl- Sansa's gotten the pledge from Brienne to be her, you know, knight of sorts, you know, her sworn sword, sworn shield, and clearly Davos and clearly Melisandre has said, "I'm doing what John wants me to do." I'm yeah. Jon Snow and Sansa and Jon are together, so that brings Melisandre and Brienne on the same team. And Davos, well, well, he doesn't have anything else to do. Assuming he's getting involved in all this, helping the Starks, Sansa talks about how the, the, the plenty of Northern houses out there that would fight for him, for Jon, you know, um, and for her too. She didn't really say it that way, but that's also true. She's a Stark, so they would absolutely fight for her. At least some of them would. And it remains to be seen which ones, presumably. I, mean, I think that's a, something we can expect to see is them either together or breaking into groups, going out and trying to see what support they can get elsewhere. And so we'll have to see what happens with that. That's, that's interesting. I want to uh, presumably that will lead to the an epic conflict showdown with the Boltons. And of course, they spoke how we got some numbers. Sansa says they Bolton probably has five thousand ish. Tormund's like 2,000. We got 2,000. And they're not going to be as well equipped as Bolton's men either. So they definitely need more men. They're not going to just try to go head to head with the Boltons with 5,000 versus 2,000. John's like, yeah, we can't do that. So Ramsey may screw up or be too hasty or whatever else, but they're also in a castle. You know what I mean? They have to siege the castle. Maybe they meet them on a battlefield, but. Well, Ramsey wants to get Sansa back, so he's not going to just... He can't just sit there. He can't just sit back and wait. Yeah, he's got to go out and do his thing. Well, that's why he tried the threat first. Like, give me Sansa, and, and, you know, we're all good. (laughs) That letter, what did you think of the letter? The letter was pretty powerful, huh? It was a... Standard Ramsey. Uh, yeah, it was kind of stand powerful, but maybe not so... Maybe not out of line. This is what I I think of it, actually, specifically. I think he's trying to go John into a mistake. You know what I mean? I think that he knows John isn't as ready as he should or could be yeah. for a battle, but he wants to push the issue. He doesn't want to give John a chance to get ready for a battle. He wants to yeah. like pull him into it. Now. He wants John to. He's basically trying to tempt John into breaking his vows. Now John has already kind of exited his vows, yeah. unbeknownst to to Ramsay. Ramsay doesn't know that John was killed. He not, like that news hasn't clearly hasn't spread at least to that <clears> point. <throat> if it's spread at all, it certainly hasn't reached the Dreadfort yet. You wonder if the messenger that brought the Dreadfort messenger like is going to maybe find that out and tell Ramsey, but I don't see how he would learn that. I don't. I don't know if they would. He probably just dropped his message off and left, you know. But but maybe not. So that'd be interesting if Ramsey learned that. What would it? How would it affect things if Ramsey like he's dead, came back? What does that mean? You know, he might blow it off. He might not believe it. He might just kill yeah. the messenger. He probably think it was. Yeah, he probably think it was kind of. Yeah, he, I'll he, kill he, you he, and see if you come back. Tell me stories. <laughs> Hold your fingers out. <laughs> So yeah, so I, I don't think there's going to be. I think the I think the Davos and Melisandre 
Brianne's stuff is just going to be, you know, maybe some tension there. But they're they're all on the same team now, so I don't think that's going to go anywhere other than that. And John being sucked in, you know, I think that's that's the big thing here. He's successfully argued his way out of his vows. It's not like Ed's going to, like, kill him to say, no, you can't do this, yeah. you know. They haven't really necessarily, some of the brothers maybe haven't accepted it yet, but, like, what? they're not going to. They're not going to kill him. I don't think they're going to stop him. Like he's got a reasonable argument for why he's he's not both not wanted and how his vows are not valid anymore because he did give his life. There also may even be some justification. I've said in the past many times. I feel like John John Snow. I almost called him John Snark. <laughs> uh, is not uh, is concerned with details as the spirit of a law. You know yeah. what I mean? I think his yeah. honor and the intent behind it is what matters to him more, and he's not looking for technicalities. However, when you've been killed and come back to life, you might, you know, you might tweak your, your moral stance a little bit. You <laughs> go ahead and find the justification. I, I feel like there's enough outside-of-norm occurrences here that it's not like someone on the wall can never leave the wall. Right. They can't abandon their brotherhood, but, you know, we saw the... Yorin get... Yorin go down. We recruiting. know it's common practice to go down and recruit more people and uh, taking trips to Molestown and it's so on, you know. Uh, so there's precedent set for leaving the wall to take on some other mission. Yeah. And you're not supposed to get involved in politics, right? You're not supposed to care about the goings-on of the kingdom. But uh, John maybe is in a gray area. You yes. know, he, he maybe could still be part of the wall. Maybe he's being threatened. He and he's a member. He's a brother. And I was like, is that yeah. you know, we threaten a brother in the Night's Watch? Isn't that threatening all of them? Isn't that kind of yeah, yeah? Like it's it is a gray area. Yeah. This this is another precedent. You know, like if Mormont was still there, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. What would he do? None of these upstarts <laughs> and changes, and they hadn't even seen zombies. Say, and some lord of some other castle sent a threat to him at the walls. Like I'm gonna attack and kill your family. Well, more might be like, well, I can't get mixed up in those politics. I'm just going to stay here and bury my head in the sand. You know, like, yep, I feel yep. like some action is going to be taken. And it might be as simple as enlisting help of other houses. Even if he can't personally go fight, yeah. maybe he would go personally fight. Maybe things change when you've been killed and come back to life. <laughs> yeah. One thing I wanted to point out, by the way, I thought it was interesting. I don't think we ever saw a scene with Sansa and... Alessandra. We haven't yet, no. I think that they may have been on screen in the same panning shot. I don't even know. I don't even think that's the case, so we didn't see them together. I it seemed like... don't think so either. The showmakers seem to be specifically separating them hmm. in our, their presentation. Why, why do you think that would be? I'm not sure. I don't know. It might just be random. It might just be when the actors were scheduled on what shooting day, what set, or whatever. Hmm. But maybe they're... I don't. I can't think I of why. I wonder if Alessandra is being kept separate from the rest of the Night's Watch in general. Hmm. She's somehow secluded on her own or by other people. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, maybe I'm reading something into it that's not there. But it's just something I took note of. Okay. That she just went in every scene. She was never present with them. And maybe hmm. they're saving that up. Maybe there'll be a scene where Sansa and Alessandra come together. Yeah. But I don't think that. Uh, well, when they had the dinner scene, neither Davos. Davos wasn't there. Right, either. exactly. Once again. Well, that's I'm... because I don't think you want Davos. You don't invite Davos and Brienne to eat at the same table. No, not, makes a, sense. not a bad point. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 
But it, but part of why I'm bringing this up is because I don't think that the conflict between them is just going to be washed over. I think there's more of that conversation. Oh, I agree. There's more. I think there's probably more to it. It just won't. I don't think it'll amount to any violence or anything. I don't think it'll amount to any real conflict. Maybe, probably. But I still, I, in my mind, I don't think that Davos is okay with. He, I don't think he got an answer about Shireen. Oh, I'm not saying between you know Davos. I mean? I'm not talking about between Davos and Melisandre. There may be some sort of reckoning there. I'm talking about between Brienne and Melisandre and Davos. I still wonder about that also. I, I think they'll be begrudgingly on the same side because they have a common enemy. And I agree, but they're not going to fight each other. That's all I'm right. saying is they will not come to they will not come to blows. They might they, not they might not come to blows, but they'll come to uh, contention. Like there well, may be disagreement. I don't know about. I mean, they already have. Which direction they should go? <laughs> they right? Should we go back to Winterfell? Should we get support? Mm. Should we split up and go different directions since we don't get along with each other? Yeah. You well, know? I don't. Yeah, I definitely don't think they'll be together one way or the other. That may, may kind of take care of it one way. <laughs> that might be a simple way to take care of it. Just don't let. Yeah, split them apart. <laughs> and maybe uh, that will build up to reconciliation. Maybe there will be a, a good, mm. you know, uh, crowning moment when someone proves themselves to the other. You mm. know, when. Davos makes some sacrifice and Brienne's respect is won or yeah, Melisandre maybe. approves her power or I could loyalty see, to whatever, you know. I could see Davos winning Brienne over pretty, you know, pretty well because he's just yeah. the kind of guy yeah. he is. Is very They're very similar in their attitudes and their honor and their honesty and yeah. their loyalty. Uh, Melisandre's another story. I have no idea what Brienne's going to think of Melisandre in the long term. We'll have to wait on that one. Hugely important thing I didn't bring up last week. First two weeks we talked about what we were drinking. Didn't do it last week. So, Sean, let's make up for lost time. What are you drinking today? This is a Wildfire. Wildfire. Yeah. Right That's, here. See, you're on my shirt. I got Wildfire. This is Valyrian Energy. It does this kind of a this similar is, color. It's Wildfire makes a Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> there was a Targaryen once who drank Wildfire. thinking think it turned him into a dragon. I'm already a dragon. Okay, good, because that didn't a work out. A bearded dragon. It didn't work out well for him. You know there's a lizard called a bearded dragon? Did you know oh, that? yeah, I have heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, not that though. I'm a, I'm real, all out dragon. And you've got a, here. you've got a uh, cowboy bebop shirt there, huh? Yeah, right Spike on. Silhouette. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my, since I can't match you in beard game, I can at least try to match you in shirt game. <laughs> I've, I've still got some catching up to do, but this wildfire shirt is my attempt. Is it to, Valerian it's, energy? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like the monster energy drink exactly. <laughs> all right, so onward. Let's go to the veil. Let's talk about. We haven't seen the veil at all this season. We. Didn't really see. Actually, probably haven't seen the veil for quite a while. We because Littlefinger's last scene in last season was I think episode seven or eight. Maybe it was nine, and it was in King's Landing. So we haven't seen the veil for a little while. We don't see much of the veil, of course, but we see kind of a. This is a neat scene. There's a little bit of interesting subtext here, and you just gotta appreciate just how well Littlefinger just runs things, just by knowing how to manipulate the people in charge. He's pretty much got. Robert Aaron, you know, he's just, Aaron's so excited to see him, he just defers to him on everything, and the little, really cool subtext I'm referring to is the Falcon itself. The Falcon is the sigil of House Aaron. Right. He gives him a Falcon. It's like, I'm giving you the Falcon, you're yeah. the Falcon Lord, but I'm providing it to you. It's like, I'm the one who's ruling through, it's, it's very, it's like, uh, who's really in charge kind of thing. You know, because he, because I've got control over this kid and this kid's whims, I can know how to manage them. You better watch <laughs> out, Lord Royce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he almost got him thrown through the moon door. That was, that was like, I was like, whoa, this could really happen here. Not there that was the moon a, door wasn't anywhere nearby, but still they could have taken him there. <laughs> it was a pretty short scene, but a lot was conveyed in that scene. I really liked it. Uh, there are a couple of things even like, I have a slight instinct to want to complain about, but it, it still stirred my thoughts on a lot of stuff. So, 
One is I, I to keep in mind I pointing out you know uh, little finger's ability to kind of manipulate a situation. I think a lot of it comes from his ability to kind of anticipate. He kind of knew there was at least a chance that Royce was gonna be like suspicious of him, and he didn't just like get off the cart, get accused by Royce, and like oh oh whoa I didn't think you're gonna be you know. Yeah. Like, He's been thinking about this. He, <laughs> he was prepared exactly to turn it around. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways Royce could have come at him, and Littlefinger was prepared for all of them. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, also, I think, telling that, because I had wondered if Royce was going to be like this raw, grumpy, hard ass that wouldn't put up with Robin, but he seemed to be patient with him. He didn't seem <laughs> to be happy, but he seemed, he put on a smile. He was there with him in training, you know what I mean? Yeah, he was, and, that was a very forceful. I was like, yeah, nice shot, kid. Yeah, but <laughs> Robin didn't throw him through the moon door. He must have developed somewhat of a rapport. Robin's not out to get Royce. Royce yeah. and, and they've made Royce out to be a good, honorable man, you yeah. know. And he better look out for Littlefinger. And uh, I wonder if there's a chance Littlefinger's underestimating Royce. Probably not. <laughs> probably, even if he was, Royce is still... A league beneath. Yeah, he's, <laughs> been, he's been cowed. He thought, yeah. yeah, he's like every time Royce tries to step to Littlefinger, Littlefinger's ready for it, you know. Yeah. And I thought another thing that was really neat here was how Littlefinger may have we may have learned a little more about what Littlefinger's plan has been all along here, which is that you could see how he he waited. He didn't tell Sweet Robin, "Hey, we need to go rescue Sansa." He just set it up and was like. Sansa's been captured. You know she's in danger. Yeah. You know, and so <laughs> she's and, my cousin. And little finger, and he's like, "We need to rescue her." He's like, "Yeah, that's what I was thinking too." Yeah. You know, he was like prepared to to go along with whatever Sweet Robin said, but he knew what it was going to go. He, he knows, was leading him. He knows. Yeah, yeah he knew what, what the answer would be, but he was prepared. If he's like, "I don't care. We're not going to let's just let her suffer." You know, he was like, he may have had. A, he probably had something else in mind to like maybe try to convince him he or could to be steer like, it another way. He could yeah. pull Royce aside and say, "Look." We both know Robin's crazy. I wouldn't let him throw you through the door. <laughs> Come on, we need to go rescue Sansa. You're right. How Stark has always been, daughter. Right? You know, like, <laughs> he could have played it diff many different ways. And uh, I think that uh, here's here's the one thing about the scene that, that slightly irked me. I felt like the guards around were a little qu too quick to step up. Yeah, to those should have Royce been. Those should have been some of those should have been Royce men loyal to him. And, yeah. yeah, and or they should know who he is and that Robin's crazy. These guys like standing around are they oblivious to everything? <laughs> like on some level, uh, kind of like when Tyrion was coaching someone about Joffrey. You yeah. know, if, if if Joffrey says let the horses go, let the horses go. But if Joffrey says slaughter all the horses, come tell me first. All right, you <laughs> yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. I feel like if Robin says throw Royce through the moon door. If, if Robin says, throw the stable voice of the moon door, fine. Throw no the stable voice of the yeah, moon door. Yeah. But he says, throw Royce of the moon door, I thought, let's go talk, let's, hold on a second. Yeah, because that no. means the Roy soldiers might not support the Aaron's, and that's a big deal, because they're the second most powerful yeah. house in the Vale, I mean, yeah. assuming... And on some level, yeah. those soldiers are men with brains who yeah. perceive reality and understand the hierarchy and chain of command and repercussions of their actions, you know, they... I feel like someone there should have enough common sense to, like... But, sir, my lord, like, Sir Royce, maybe we should get a bite to eat, you know? Like, <laughs> and just avoid the confrontation yeah. rather than, like, seize him and throw him through the moon door. There's some, someone somewhere should... But maybe they're afraid to do it. Littlefinger present. Littlefinger has made a point of how he makes his presence, his authority known, yeah. you know, through payment or punishment, so... The other, the other thing I was referring to, by the way, when I said that we maybe got more of his plan here, some people criticized the plan of putting Sansa in danger and saying, why would he risk her like that? Doesn't he know what Ramsay is like? And 
Or doesn't he know that's risky? Doesn't he know the reputation of the Boltons? No, I think he very well did know. And he may he maybe didn't know fully about Ramsey, but it doesn't matter whether he did or not. He knows the Boltons and by reputation. I think this was part of his plan. He intended for Sansa to be in danger so that this would be his vehicle to get the Vale soldiers to go north. This is the only way he could get that to happen. It was by having a reason, and that reason being a blood relative is in danger. Especially a female blood relative, which is, you know, in this chivalrous Westerosi culture, you're supposed to rescue damsels, especially highborn ladies like this. Especially ones who are your own cousin. So that, or I mean, more so if they're your sister or something. But still, that's a big deal. And I think this is what Littlefinger has been setting up all along. Uh, along with other things. I mean, he's got multiple irons in the fire. But this was his plan with Sansa, was to send her there, realize she the word that she was in danger or, or having... Difficulties, because again, it's it's a long shot that they would kill her. It's possible that they would kill her, but holy crap, that would be stupid. Because look at what Ramsey's doing now. Everything is about trying to get her back. Look at how much Roos was like, you lost, losing her is everything. Like that was the biggest mistake, you know. So that's so it, it shows why Littlefinger could be confident that while they may torture her, while they may do bad things to her, they will not outright kill her. And that's all that matters. He's like, well, as long as they don't kill her, we're good. You know, and that's, that is what happened. They did do awful things to her, but they did not kill her. And so that, that part of the plan worked pretty much perfectly. And now he's going to get to take his, take the Vale army north. Well, I don't know what he's going to do once he, once they get there. But one theory is that because he was mistreated by Catelyn Tully, because he fell in love with her when he was young, that he's, his whole life arc has been about being worthy of a young, of a, of the nobility and being on that footing. And he's... Especially to be a Stark, you know, because the Starks, the Stark, a Stark is who got Catelyn, and that's yeah. what he wanted. So he's trying, you know, so maybe he's, it's been a prevailing theory for a long time, maybe he's been trying to get Winterfell for himself. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's the case or not, but there's certainly more to Littlefinger's plan, and the more we see of it, the more some, to me, some of the things that maybe didn't make sense are starting to make more sense. Uh, what do you think about the plan overall? Is that kind of where you're at? Yeah, or? that does make sense. Uh, one thing, uh... I have thought, and we've talked before about what what is his end goal. Like, is he is he making a play to sit on the Iron Throne? Could he even theoretically do that? And maybe Probably it seems not, so unlikely. But, but as but, high as he can go, uh, yeah. yeah. How high could he go? You know, what is his aspiration? Like, because it seemed like if his goal had been to be Lord of the Dreadfort, that would have been quite an accomplishment. Eh, done that, moved on. What about yeah. be Lord of the Vale? Yeah, done that. Is, he, is that it? He's done now. I guess okay, Lord of the Vale. I'm happy. I'm like, no, he's still moving. He's still <laughs> taking action and plotting. Lord of Winterfell, that might be like what he wanted, and you, you know, assuming all the kingdoms are equal, that wouldn't be any bigger, but maybe more personal. Yeah. Uh, on some level, maybe the North is one of the better kingdoms out of sort of like prestige, but maybe it's sort of worse because the North More, it's sucks. cold. It's, it's cold. It's, it's not, yeah. not very wealthy. You know. You know. But uh, but if he can be the Lord of the Dreadfort, the Vale, Winterfell, why can't he be king too? Well, he could be, you know, uh, since these these realms potentially aren't united under the Iron Throne anymore. Yeah, maybe he could just be king of a new re- realm. Yeah, it seems a bit much, but he could also be trying to do what ambitious, classically throughout history, what ambitious people who do who lack the the proper blood to be king is they try to rule through someone who is weak. So he could yeah. be trying to make Robert Aaron king of all these places because he is an established. Lord of a of a long-standing great house, and that people could tolerate, and he could rule through Robert because he obviously has him in his pocket. He that that easily could be it or part of it. 
Um, one thing that was pointed out that would hold him back from you know being able to seize the throne and be king is he hasn't really proved himself militarily. But if he leads the army to Winterfell and conquers the Boltons and that would be huge. Marries Sansa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how likely she would be to marry him, but yeah, I don't know uh, if Sansa's going to be too happy with what with Littlefinger after what she put him in. Yeah, well, which leads me to another thing I wanted to talk about because that was something we debated a lot. We talked a lot about whether or not Littlefinger knew or would know or should know. It seemed like he has his finger on the pulse. Some people he can't believe known. he didn't know, and right, some, yeah. so they think he was lying. And that's how I felt. This I think like it's plausible should... that he didn't know, but more like I'd lean towards he knew and was lying. Yeah, but it's, it, but I, I, I would. It's plausible that he didn't know. Just he also like might that. have known that Ramsay was crazy, but not known the extent of how crazy he yeah. was. And he may have been willing to take a gamble with Sansa, but maybe he didn't realize how big of a gamble yeah. it was. And again, know? crazy isn't uh, stupid because he has to be. Right. There's crazy and they're stupid. And killing Sansa would have been stupid for Ramsay, you know, yeah. for the reasons we explained already. So and then Littlefinger just is just like just like Tyrion said about the slavers. He's like they're not going to work against their own best interest. You don't have to trust them. You don't have to consider them friends. You just have to assume they'll work towards their best interest, and his best interest is keeping Sansa alive. Like, killing her would be mega dumb. Trust, <laughs> trust is an interesting word, and sometimes you, quote-unquote, trust someone because you know, know how they're going to behave. Yeah. Not because you like or agree with their behavior, but you know what it's going to be. You trust the information you have on them. Yeah. Not you trust that they will do right by you. It's a different, yeah, it's a different kind of trust. Yeah. It's, it's like you, it's more like, I can predict their actions. It's not like I can trust them. You right. know, it's more yeah. like saying, I know what he's going to do. I know how he's going to play this, or at least close enough, you know. Okay, well, we should probably move on. we got a lot to talk about here. That's um, We've just gotten back to the Vale and the, the Knights of the Vale. It's pretty exciting how much they were able to pull off in that short scene. But there is, of course, more to come, and this is just beginning. There is a bit of a clue as to what might come next in this plot line, but as usual, we will discuss all next on. So week week five Game of Thrones chat will be after our credits as usual. So we won't spoil anyone who wants to keep um, unspoiled on what's coming up. The trailer for next week had a couple of juicy tidbits, but like I said, we'll keep those for the end. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, let's go to... Let's go to King's Landing. We're going to stay on King's Landing for a while. Let's talk about with King's Landing. And as I said before, we will finish with Danny and the Fire. So now King's Landing, a lot happening here. And I think this is a lot of cleverness happening here. Something very cool. Watching the episode a few times. When I, I first watched the episode, I didn't catch this. As usual, I watched the episode. Well, I actually watched it more than three times. But fully three times and then parts of it the rest of the time. So... After the second watch, I caught something that was interesting that I think is a big underlying theme here. First of all, the High Sparrow, he, apparently he tells Tommen that Marjorie's going to get walked through the streets like Cersei did. And he says, he told me not to tell anyone. Okay. <laughs> if, you're not, if, you're, if your conspiracy sensors on, on, aren't on, it might have slid past like it did for me in my first watch. Because when I watch the first time, I'm just watching as a fan. I, I don't turn my full analytical brain on until my second watch and the third when I'm really looking for clues. And I'm, there's just no way that the High Sparrow didn't know that Tommen would tell Cersei. This is a huge setup. Tommen is, was, is accidentally telling his mother something that was planted. 
The High Sparrow knew for a fact that Tommen would tell his mother, and he knows what they're going to do. He knows they're going to jump in with their military might somehow and do something. He doesn't necessarily know exactly what their plan is going to be, but he's ready for this. Something, I don't, yeah. I have no idea what the trick is going to be, what the, what, what's going to happen, but I am positive that he is tricking them and that he knows exactly what they're going to do. He knows they're going to send soldiers in or something to that effect, and he's got something ready for them. No idea what. I, I agree with you. Uh, the, I, I was a little more suspicious right off the bat. Good, good for I you. I was yeah. like, yeah, there's a, <laughs> it's too convenient and it makes too much sense. And yeah, it's a, <clears throat> I don't know what it will be. I don't know what they'll, I don't know what, what his play is. I One thing I think a lot about is like what, what is his endgame? Say, like, say they didn't do anything. Say everything went his way. Say Marjorie confessed and Loris confessed and they had a trial and yeah, what would Cersei he confessed. Yeah. Does he like execute them when they're clearly <laughs> guilty through evidence or, or confession? Or does he like absolve them and let them go? Like, I'm almost confident one thing that's just not going to happen is suddenly all these rich, greedy, powerful people turn good, right? <laughs> that's just not going to happen. Right. And, I, and I think he probably knows that too. Like, yeah. he may think he might legit get through to one or two out of ten, you know, like Lance. Like Lance, yeah, exactly. Right. Perfect example, you know, yeah. Uh, and he's probably had some experiences before with this. He may get a few people to legit turn over, but as opposed to what, I, I still can't quite tell, like, Cersei even goes on for a moment, like, he doesn't care about anything of this world. He wants to tear it down and replace it with nothing. I wonder if that, and he even kind of had this moment right before he rested Cersei, if I remember right, last season, where he's like kind of uh, in all of this altar, this simple stone slab compared to this gaudy gold <laughs> set yeah. that we have. This is what really matters. This yeah. basic simple That's thing neat. here. Yeah. I wonder if he really will just tear King's Landing down. And if he did, how does the rest of the kingdom respond to that? Is the There's some huge foreshadowing in this in, in, in all these scenes too. Okay, I don't even know where to start, Hartley. I'm really excited about all the things that happened in King's Landing. What's cool is Cersei gets her head of steam, and she's like, oh, I'm, this is how I'm going to get us all on the same team, because I'm going to tell Elena and Kevin what's going to happen, and I can play on both of their deepest, darkest fears by referencing their own children, saying, don't you want to rescue Lancel? Don't you want Marjorie to not do this? She's like, yeah, this is not happening. Yeah. And I love the subtlety of, of Elena sitting down. Yeah. She's like, okay... We can talk. When they first walked in, when Jamie and Cersei first walked in, yeah. she even said, haven't we gone over this? And they stand up like, we'll just leave. We can't force you to leave, but we just won't have our meeting around you. Yeah. And then Cersei and Jamie get their two cents in, and Kevin and Elena sit they back They sit down. there like, okay, right, you, you've, you've won this round for now. We'll talk. Yeah, yeah. it was really cool. That was a really, really a subtle way to handle that. And also, like... See, this is, I was suspicious too, but I, I had my suspicion in the wrong place. I was because, because Tommen doesn't, we don't hear Tommen say what he's going to say, and then just yeah. the next scene is Cersei coming in saying, This is what's going to happen. I thought maybe Cersei was, was the one lying. I see, yeah. Uh, but, but no, but, but upon reflection, it's like, no, Cersei's just going, just took the bait. She just totally took the bait, yeah. and everyone else took the bait too, because it's such an, for one thing, it's such an emotional thing that, like, Marjorie's going to be Marjorie Street like you were. Because, because right before it's announced, Elena's like, you were marched in front of everybody. You're worthless now. Yeah, you like, lost they, your dignity. That you just, lost, that yeah. ruined you. And like, well, it's going to happen to your your granddaughter. Like, oh. <laughs> okay, then we have to stop that. And it's awesome, too, because it's the theme, another theme of this episode. It's what Tyrion said. It's the, their contempt 
We can use their contempt yeah. uh, against yeah. the, that's their weakness. And this is the weakness. They're too. They're so contemptuous of the high sparrow, calling him a dirty peasant and his dirty hands and his grubby this and that and how he has <laughs> no plan and just wants to tear everything down. They're totally, totally underestimating him because he's this lowborn guy. Yeah. And that's that's a common theme in this episode too is underestimating your you know your enemies like and uh, and a lot of in in both on large scale and small scale like. Obviously, the calls underestimated Danny big time, and obviously, and Osha underestimated Ramsey. Yeah. She thought she could like you know be sneaky to him. She thought she knew what was going on because he had her bathed. She thought he was he. She thought he was expecting sex, and but Ramsey just set him set her up. That was that was a total setup. She, he knew he knew that he was going to kill her. It was like sport. Yeah, but, the but whole I'm, thing I'm was off. just a game to him. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm I'm getting away from King's <laughs> Landing again. Yeah. This is this is the episode of tangents apparently. So, and that's because some of the things tie together. I think this episode was really strong yeah. with the themes tying to each other here and there, and that's part of why we're jumping all over the place. There's my excuses. <laughs> so. But getting back to King's Landing, I'm really excited about this because it's such a great setup, and I have no idea what his what the like the gotcha is going to be so okay so this my thoughts going through it as i was watching it the first time my thoughts are definitely still stirring on it at this moment <laughs> uh, but when they cut when you know tom's like i have to tell you something mother she's like what is he trust me cuts the next scene like oh god what yeah the, they were gonna like conceal us? it you but know then what they mean? did yeah. but then the next scene is like oh that's okay that's what it was yeah but then i got a little suspicious again of cersei myself when Olena says, oh, that cannot happen. That will not happen. And Cersei says, no, I, it won't. I agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I wonder if, I, I kind of wondered in that moment if Cersei's either plotting or planning or not caring if Marjorie gets killed in all this. I don't think she cares. Well, I mean, Tommen brought that up. She says, you don't care. You don't, you don't like Marjorie. You don't like, you know, she, and she's like. She kind of deflects the question. You yeah, know? she yeah. doesn't really answer she it. She's want like, to admit to it, but what did they do to me? You know, remember what they did to me? She's like, he's like, like trying to fire, or she's trying to fire him up. Like, remember what they did to me? They marched me through the street. Blah blah blah. Yeah. blah she blah. says it doesn't matter what I think about her at all. Yeah, she's the queen. She's yeah. the queen. That's, That's true. Yeah, it, and on some level, that status is important to Cersei because she was the queen, and maybe will be the queen regent at least again if Marjorie is killed. Like, I, I don't know for sure, but I feel like Cersei isn't necessarily trying to rescue Marjorie here. Yeah, she's just trying to beat the High Sparrow. Right, right. And Marjorie might just be collateral damage. Yeah, exactly. She if care. she's collateral damage, that's, that, sorry, yeah. that's what happened. And what's, speaking of Marjorie, that's the really, another thing that's really interesting about all this is Marjorie's the only, is the one person that's figured this all out. Yeah. She's understands well, what the, she she goes along with the High Sparrow. When she's, she's like, what happened next? She's like encouraging him to tell his story. And then when she gets in the cell with Laura, she's like, they're trying to do, they're trying to bring us down, blah, blah, blah. She's totally on top of things in Lawrence. It's just like, ah, make it stop. Let them win. <laughs> I'm like, damn, dude. <laughs> like, that's not the, that's not the night of flowers that I was hoping for here. But, you know, he's, he is a little, you know, kind of a spoiled rich kid that can't handle yeah. it in this case. He's still probably a badass fighter. He probably hasn't lost that as long as he gets his, his nerve back. And he's intelligent enough to recognize it, too. He, in past conversations, he yeah. said, like, I've never even been in battle. I'm not a great one. I'm just I just trained a lot. I yeah. just won some tournaments. Good I just, point. Yeah. You know, uh, he has some humility about him, if you will. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing. There's so many things to talk about. Yeah. The, <laughs> the crime that Marjorie is accused of here is basically lying. Yeah. Right. That's, Perjury. Yeah, and maybe whatever. in a church's Lying eyes or in God's eyes or even it was a trial. It was like a trial. All so... sins are equal. Yeah. You know. I don't know. But it seems like what Cersei's accused of. You know. 
incest and lying plus incest plus on down the line, uh, she's in more trouble than yeah. Marjorie. If yes, you will. yes. And Loris, however severe his crime is, you know, maybe it's on par with lying. I can imagine. Maybe it seems more blasphemous to the church. You yeah, know, uh, it's not really clear uh, how. What do they call it? Buggery. Uh, buggery. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but the thing is, he can't stop being who he is. Marjorie can say, "I lied. I'm sorry. I feel bad about that. I shouldn't have done it. I won't do it yeah. again." But Laura's can't say, "I'm not homosexual anymore." There, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's harder for him. The Accusation on him is harder to deal buy with. It. They might actually buy it. It's like, I won't do that yeah. again. I swear never to do that again. Or they might buy yeah. that. I mean, you maybe know, he cause, could. Because uh, they're zealots and they think that that's a, they think it's a choice, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> but I'm just pointing out it's a tougher accusation. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. He can't prove that he won't do it again. who he is is being attacked rather than yeah. an action he took. Does that make sense? And um, I think Marjorie once wanted, she went into the room trying to convince him to play along, to try and like yeah. play along, give them what they want. Yeah, she thought this but, was like a chance to get on the same page, but get a just, plan together. But he just and he's melted. just worthless. Yeah, yeah. he's just he's, <laughs> he's just he's just gone. Yeah, for now, like maybe she can help him bring him back into things. But yeah, he's just he's not helpful right now. He's yeah, not gonna. Yeah. He, she thought that they could team up a little she and maybe might, do something, but nah. He's... She might not choose him as her champion in a trial by combat. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly wouldn't right now. <laughs> uh, all right, let me think. What was? I have one other thought. Uh, let's yeah, spend a few more minutes on King's Landing, then we'll move on. I, I, w- I did want to make one point. I thought they did a good job. It was sort of a, a well-designed cinematic moment. Mm-hmm. When Cersei approaches Tommen, who's talking to myself, mm-hmm. I thought it was just good camera work. Like we're on Cersei, and we hear her footsteps softly, and it kind of backs up to the uh, the image of Tommen and Pycelle in a room. But the focus is still on Cersei's mm-hmm. face; she's still clear, and she listens for a moment, and then opens the door. And as she opens the door, the camera focus shifts to the background oh, nice. of uh, Pycelle and Tommen, and then Pycelle leaves. And when Pycelle leaves, it's not, it's not, you know, <laughs> subtle and adept. So it's this slow, clinking, you know, poses this slow, careful, unnoticed approach of Cersei to this obvious, clumsy, loud exit of Pycelle. Uh, and Pycelle said, is really playing with fire by antagonizing Cersei. You just should not. She's yeah. just too willing to just have people killed because of things that... You he's know. made it this far. He's made he it. has. It's yeah. true, but he's generally been on her side. I mean, he, she, she doesn't like him. Yeah, she, she, he's he's always kind of creeped her out, and she doesn't like him. But he has been like a Lannister ally. But now he's like a Baratheon ally. Well, he's more with yeah. I mean, he's with <laughs> Kevin, and only, he's just not her ally. You know, he's yeah. maybe still like on Team Lannister, but not Team Cersei specifically. And he's not really which, and, and he's not really helping Jaime either. He's, he's taking the side of the small council. That's where yeah. his power lies. You well, know? also to be fair. Who he's supposed to be loyal to? He's, he's not, loyal to the king. He's right, a maester, yeah. the, right? The citadel didn't say go serve Cersei. Yeah, right. I just mean there's no reason for him to do, like, give Cersei that look, like, you know, like don't, yeah. dude, don't antagonize her. Just, just keep on ambling at one half a mile an hour. Don't look at her like that. And it does also make you wonder <laughs> what he does think of, like, because he did, he did have the option to stand up for Cersei in the yeah. small council. He could have been, you know, uh, brought the point up. Um, he did even start to mention the precedent of uh, Hightower yeah. being on the mm-hmm. King's Guard. So true. maybe Jamie has a role here, you know. But he definitely seemed to be bringing that up to clarify that Cersei doesn't. He could have made a play to bring Cersei into the fold, but he didn't. So. But it, there's, and there's, it's interesting, the dialogue in this scene, too, and the dialogue with Kevin. 
when they're when they tell him the plan of what how they're going to bring the Tyrell soldiers in and just basically get in the way. Well, the subtext here since there, since we think this big plan is coming that it's a that it's a plot that the high spire knows what's going to happen i think that they're kind of telling us kind of foreshadowing here a lot of these conversations are foreshadowing what we're going what's going to happen we see pycel saying don't antagonize them don't like push this too far you have yeah. to be very delicate with this i think pycel's right and cersei is impossible and cersei, yeah cersei and jamie are like the opposite they're like no we're going to meet strength with strength we saw what happened when the high spirit when jamie confronted the high spirit with strength he was like Basically wasn't afraid. He was like, yeah, I'm afraid, but not of you. I'm afraid of the gods, you know. And he just deflected. He's like, I'm not afraid of your little knife, buddy. (laughs) And I think this is just like the same thing grown larger. He's like, I'm not afraid of their armies. I can, you know, I've got a better plan. I've got an angle here. And when Kevin says, if this doesn't go as planned, it'll be civil war. A lot of people are going to die. And Olin is like, a lot of people are going to die anyway. Better them than us. Uh, yeah, well, about that. <laughs> <laughs> it might be us. Yeah, I don't think or... it's going to be so smooth for them, because <laughs> I think they're, like I, like we said, they're walking into a trap that they do not even, they haven't even perceived because of their contempt. Is They just don't think, they, they can't even perceive of this possibility. And so I think the, the worries that Kevin and Pycelle are expressing are that is, that's the reality. That's what's going to happen. That they, they're gonna, and what is that going to mean? Civil War in King's Landing. Is there going to be just blood in the streets? Is it going to be the faith versus the crown? You know, and uh, is it just going to be chaos until someone comes in to restore order? Well, maybe Marjorie will make a play. Marjorie maybe will kind of sense what's happening. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like she's doing something in her mind about how to deal with this or how to respond or what to say. Yeah, I don't mind. See, I don't mind when I know what's coming. I don't mind that too much as long as the journey is interesting. For example, with Danny, they threw us for a loop. The journey was a lot different than I thought it would be in this whole Vase Dothrak plotline. But we knew she was going to survive and come out ahead one way or another. With this King's Landing stuff, I have no idea who's going to come out on top. I have no idea who's going to get it, who's going to die, who's going to live. Or how it's going to go. I don't know the how, the why, the when, the what. I don't know any of it. So that's awesome. It's just like totally up in the air. All right, so this is... we. We play this game sometimes. I mention sometimes at work, there's people at my job that just like bet on any random thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, they, and so they love to bet on Game of Thrones. Who's going to go to this place? Who's going to kill? The, who's going to die this episode? Who do you think? Who do you think is safe in King's Landing? Who do you Jeez. think is like the safe? Who do you think has the most plot armor? Who do you think has, is in the least King's likely Landing. to be killed hmm. in King's Landing? Like, I, I think, I, I realize as I take my notes okay, on well, each we episode. Okay, well, we got to have a time frame on that. Like, f- for the rest of the show, for the whole rest of the show, I because that that's a big question. If yeah. you want to say this season, I could give a better answer for this. Yeah. But if it's the whole show, I don't even know where to start. Because, uh, like, who, who who even knows? What's up, buddy? We have, <laughs> we have a cat making an uh, invasion into our recording here. All right, let me think. For I'll say, I'll say this season. Let's say this season. Who do you think is safe this season? This season, who do you think is not going to get killed in episode. I nine? think Cersei <laughs> is going to survive this season. Yeah. I think Jamie will probably survive the season. I'm not so sure about Tommen. I'm not so sure about Kevin or Olena. I doubt both Loras and Marjorie die, but one of them is is maybe reasonable. Olena, I'm kind of worried about the Sparrow. Despite his trickery, I still think. It, could get rough for him and yeah i don't know that he's got a long-term role to play i think his role is to stir things up and to maybe create chaos and to create you know interesting situations and and situations for these characters to kind of consider their own their own selves and 
how to manage conflict. But I think it might be just a way to pave the pave the way for Danny to come in, and you know things will be so yeah. for her to restore order. Yeah. Um, although she is a bit of a destroyer, as much as she is, uh, you know, a bringer of of freedom. You know, she she want, you know she's a freer of slaves, obviously, but she's also just been uh, she's also been very destructive, and she hasn't shown yet. That she knows how to do these sort of things without causing massive destruction. Not that it's not a criticism. It's just it's a really hard thing to do. Yeah, what yeah. she's trying to do, ending slavery. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah. It's thousands of years old, like we you know, like we hear. So, and even ending slavery is like this sort of secondary thing she's sort of taken on. She's also trying to raise an army and a navy. <laughs> like yeah. independent of ending slavery, she's and trying to raise an army and a navy to conquer another land. She may have done half of that, but you know, now yeah. <laughs> she may have the army part. Anyway, well let's take another ad break. I think that covers it for King's Landing for now. We're very excited about that plot line going forward. Not sure where it's going. Very up in the air, which is awesome. Looking forward to the surprises and whatever they do. So we'll take a quick couple seconds here. Be right back with the rest of the plot lines. We're going to move on to, I guess we should go. We'll go. We'll take a stop off in the Iron Islands before heading to, to the east. So be right back. Okay, folks, we're back. And wow, that was a good first hour. A lot of fun stuff there. I'm really, the more we talk, the more fired up I'm getting. Wildfire. <laughs> I'm a belly full of wildfire. You're wildfired up. Yeah, I'm wildfired up. There's one thing before we uh, move on I wanted to mention about King's Landing. Sure. Cersei came in to talk to Tommen and said, since I've missed the past few uh, council, council meetings, meetings. I yeah, wanted yeah. to talk to you for a minute. I wonder, is Tommen going to the meetings? Yeah, I think so. So, Well, I, some of them, some of them. It, Maybe not always. Yeah, I, that's the thing that's uh, perplexed me a little bit. Kevin said that he had been ordered by the king, Tommen, to not interfere with the da 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 That must have... That was, okay. You would assume that would happen at, at a small council meeting. Yeah. Can't at a small council meeting Tom insist that his mother be there? Why is he not making that play? Why is Cersei not having to make that play? Maybe he's only been in one meeting, or maybe he hasn't been in any of them, or maybe he doesn't have the balls yet. Maybe Kevin's taking an in or taking too much charge. He brought it up and got shut down. Just the way he brought something out to the yeah. sparrow and got shut down. That seems like the likely answer. I mean, he but, even, like, backed down... Uh, you know, when, when, when Cersei came in and was like, what are you doing here to, to Grand Maester? Even he, he looked guilty. He stood up and looked guilty, too, like he was doing something wrong. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, this kid is not going to grow a spine overnight, if ever. <laughs> but it seemed like he was growing one when he was talking to Cersei in that episode. He had his moments. I should have done this for you. I should have done this for you. I want to be strong. I want, I want you to teach me. When it he's like feeling he needs to go into yeah. the council. Cersei needs to get him to go into the council and have them put her back on. Maybe she doesn't even need to. She's made well, her now, play Now, after this, it seems like she's yeah. got her foot back in the door there, at least for yeah. now. Just a curiosity that I had about how these council meetings are going. And Jamie, Jamie had a good point there, too, because they were like, because Elena was like, what use is she now? You know, like, what well, you're used up, basically. And, and Jamie's like, because Jamie was kind of playing the good Lannister, good Lannister, bad Lannister game there. She, he's like, Cersei is the queen mother and has the ing of the, has the ing? The, the ear of the king. <laughs> And that means something. She can still influence Tommen, and Tommen's decisions are what matters. And Elena didn't really have a response to that because it was true. That's a well, good point. Also, because that's two sided. She might not want Cersei <laughs> yeah. the king, right? Good point. Good point. Okay, so let's talk about the Iron Islands. This is a brief scene, but it, it's thematically very much in line with the rest of the episode. The the weak Theon's weakness, the strength of of Yara, and the reunion as well, which is a big uh, theme of the episode, and. A bit of a little bit of compromise and a little bit of 
mistrust that's kind of resolved. You know, she, he shows up and she's immediately suspicious. Not only is she suspicious, yeah. it's, it's a mixture of suspicion and contempt. Because he's so weak now, he's blubbery, and he's, you know, not the man he was, arguably not a man at all by some standards, because he's lost, you know, his quote-unquote manhood, and he's, you know, he's just keeps his head down, he's apologizing a lot, he's, mur- he's mumbling, and Yara just kind of, like, tries to, like, look, be a Greyjoy, man, be, you know, he's like, be who you are, you know, but why are you here? Are you here? He's like, is it just coincidence that you showed up? Right after our father died, which I think is funny because we know who did it, and we know that guy, it's Euron, says that he intends to take over. So <laughs> he's the one who seems to be good. He'll probably be the one to show up at the Randall's like, you've been gone for all this time. Where did you come from? You know, yeah. <laughs> that's so she's accusing Theon of what her uncle is really guilty of. So that's kind of a funny little misdirection there. What did you think of the scene overall, and uh, what did you get from it? I liked it. I, I thought it was interesting. It's uh, the Greyjoys. We haven't got a lot from them, and they are characters who I'm kind of conflicted about how I should feel about them in the first place. Uh, but uh, it's intriguing, if nothing else. I, I'm going way back to when uh, Theon was being tortured. I, I, I just didn't like that segment. It's something that's hard for me to really relate to or understand or predict. I don't know what comes of a person when they're tortured that severely and without seemingly without any real like motivation or end goal or something um just because he's a right he likes to torture people like what yeah, happens really <laughs> yeah like there's a certain idea like that a tough character or a strong character someone more fortitude someone like ned or whoever they would stand up to that so like no there's just a certain level like ramsey specifically what we saw is like it's not a thing a person could stand up to yeah. you know it doesn't matter how strong or tough or whatever you just lose who you are as far as i could tell that seemed to be now it's not like theon was particularly this tough person you can't break in the first he place he was already sort of he was kind of this punk kid or whatever yeah, yeah. Um, identity issues but i don't issues. right it's hard for me to judge theon for being broken by ramsey because i think any character would have been yeah, any be, people person. be broken in different ways yeah but yeah but basically broken and, and yeah. remember that Ramsey was using every different way. You know what I mean? Like he Psychological like lured torture, him out, physical thought he's being torture. rescued, brought him back. Yeah, and that, and that, level, and, it, and, right? that so, and that did show that there was a point. But it wasn't just torture; it was to make him a servant. It was to make him servile. Yeah, to to completely remove. And who we he learned was that because Bruce was like, "You're playing your games." He's like, "No, this wasn't a game." He's like, "Look, like he's shaving yeah. me. He's not taking revenge, even when I'm talking about his family like this right in this moment and talking about yeah. Rob that way." Yeah, so. It, it did. It, it, I agree with you. Like I didn't like seeing those scenes, yeah. but they. But my they point, had a point is, it, it's eventually. hard for me to relate to yeah. his character. I don't. I. I remember the time when I had my cock chopped off and had to go <laughs> face my sister. And, you know, I don't know. It's similar to John. Like we don't know what John is facing. Like who knows what it's like to be murdered? You know. The thing like, is, <laughs> I still feel like it's even more extreme. You know what I mean? Yeah. For one, for one, we've just gotten more of John's character. We've gotten deeper into this his yeah. character than Theon's. Uh, Plus, that's a realistic thing. Like, there are people yeah. in the real world who have survived torture. No one has ever come back from being murdered. Yeah. <laughs> Theon is also... Uh, what he's supposed to do is tougher to figure out. Like, uh, other characters like John, we sort of expect him to do the right thing, right? But what the right thing is for Theon is hard to know. Like, even when I'm going to say, you know, his big mess up when he abandoned um, Rob... Right, which a lot of that is easier in hindsight to judge, right? Yeah. Uh, 
And a lot of it seems worse because of the personal connection he had to the people at Winterfell. But any other conqueror in Winterfell would have killed those boys and chopped off the head of the whoever confronted him. That Theon was doing on a certain level. What he's supposed to do? Pretty normal, right? Yeah. Danny yeah. chopped off that dude's head in front of a crowd. We're like, Danny, why did you do that? Seemed like such a mistake. But she felt like it's what you know. I, I don't think people were like. Danny's just like Theon. You know, I'm not <laughs> sure, but I get this vibe that people don't like Theon. There's a million reasons not to, but I try to see all the sides of it, and it's hard for Theon to know what's right, what who he's supposed to be loyal to, what he's supposed to do. It's hard to equate to a character who's been so tortured. and, and So uh, what seems like is being expected from Yara here uh, is... <laughs> so there's a pause like, before you say her name. It's... Yeah. Uh, Yara is yeah. uh, you know be a Greyjoy and man up or whatever, but yeah. so that you can be a pirate and go rape and pillage. Uh, what am I rooting for here? What I don't want him to be a I don't think the Greyjoys are good either. You know what I mean? I don't like I don't want him to do this. You know what I'm saying? So I I have to kind of appreciate the entrance interestingness, the intrigue of these characters and this plot line and this uh, faction in the world. But I don't know, fundamentally, I, I, I have a hard time relating to them or rooting for them. So uh, I feel like I'm kind of being negative, but I still I think know. this is cool. I still think it's interesting. Yeah, no, I'm I intrigued by the drama. You know? I think it's fine. To, uh, yeah, I don't think it's negative because you're like, you, I think most people agree. You can't, you don't root for the Greyjoys because you like what they're all about. You know, for me, I just like, I, like I have my Greyjoy mug because I love the sigil. I just think the Kraken is cool, you know? <laughs> and I, are cool. And in particular, <laughs> LA, um, not, I'm not going to delve into book talk here, but I like how they're written too. They're interesting. Not that they're you root for them, you know. I yeah. don't think that, but they're all like there's a lot of scumminess there, more so than than elsewhere. But they're well written and they're interesting, and that that makes them fun in their own way. And yeah, it's hard. They haven't been a big part of the story, and it seems like that's that's getting bumped up a notch this season. But it's still in the early phases, and. We have a bit to discuss with them at the end of the episode because there's some they, they do appear in the credit in the next on so we'll we'll be talking about them at the end a little more at the end of the episode, and so I think with that it's time to move on to the next area. I think it's about time for us to go fully west. We'll start with Tyrion and uh, Missandei and Grey Worm and all that good stuff. We've been kind of talking about this scene off and on before we even got to it because it's because of how much some of these plots are tied to each other so much. And a lot of those things were, a lot of the themes of the episode were kind of explained in this scene with the, the conflict, the compromising, the doing what you have to do, you know, swallowing things you don't want to do in order to, for the greater good, but maybe being wrong about that. You know, all these different things, a lot of these kind of come together. This is the scene that really kind of explains these subtexts, I think. And it's done quickly, in a, which is kind of a good thing. You know, it's not, they don't, sometimes I think they rush things in the show a bit. Uh, but that's kind of the nature of the medium. And I think that this was properly paced. I think in general, this episode had good pacing, I think. Although the last scene was like, woo, that was fast. <laughs> but I think this episode was a little longer than the last two episodes. Was so. it? Okay. Yeah. I didn't really notice that. I think it was 57 minutes instead of 52 or whatever. Okay. Was. Good job. Good job. Um, always good to have those few extra minutes in there because they can do a lot in a few minutes. Yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> We've seen that. So, yeah, I mean, like that whole Ironborn scene was probably only a couple minutes. That's the difference between, yeah. you know, 52 and 57 is the scene with Theon and Asha probably. That may have even been three, only three minutes, you know. <laughs> a lot. They can, pull, they can pack a lot in those three yeah, minutes. You say a lot of words and short amount of time it's true 
like we're saying in this episode of our own. So let's talk about that. Let's see. So Tyrion, it's it's basically pragmatism versus, um, you know, idealism. Idealism. That's yeah. a good way to put it. And that's <laughs> I don't I don't know if this is one of the things you thought about, but it's kind of one of the things that's playing out in American politics oh, right now yeah. quite a lot, especially on the <laughs> Democratic side. But we won't get into that can of worms. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, but it is certainly a theme as people talking about pragmatism versus idealism, and this was on display here. And it's hard to say who's right, you know. I think Tyrion is, you know, he's got a point. You can't just expect to just make these people stop being slaves, slavers overnight. You can't. That's just not realistic. On the other hand, you can't give them an inch because they'll take a mile. They really are not just going to go down fighting. They will go down fighting. You give them this piece, and they'll probably just use it to, to work against you. They'll probably try to send assassins or something. Who knows what moves they'll make, but it's not, from Grey Worm and Masadi's point of view, they're not just going to go along with this and be like, yeah, okay, we'll dismantle all our slaving. Yeah. They're going to do, they're going to maybe make it seem they're going to do that, or they're going to like <clears throat> maybe buy their time and hope they can get away with this and that. Seven years is a long time. They'll drag their feet. Like, do they really think Danny's even going to still be there in seven years? They'll be like, look, all we do is wait this out. Like, let's pretend we're dismantling all this stuff. They're going to leave. And then we'll just go back doing whatever we want. So I think that's the kind of thing that Grey Worm is thinking in Masande. And they're, I don't, they got a good point. Like, you can't trust them. On top of all that, what, what leverage does Tyrion have? This is just a request that he's making. You know, he can offer up some horses or whatever, but yeah. in the end, yeah, maybe. I won't send the Unsullied against you. I mean, yeah, or the dragons, but. They don't believe in that as a threat at the moment. It Not seems, yet. Yeah, you know, he has like, to. Uh, that all may be moot because Danny comes back with this giganto calisar, yeah, mega calisar, yeah. where she's got all the manpower she needs to make these slave cities do whatever she wants. Now, here's the problem with that, though. There won't need to be compromises. <laughs> I, 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 the thing is, I I had the thought, I can't remember for sure if I said it in the last episode, but I definitely, like, through the week, it was just becoming clear in my mind that this is where her army's coming from. She's going to unite these calls. Yeah. Well, she didn't exactly unite. She united them in fire. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but regardless, end result is she's got her army. Yeah, hostile takeover that, of all Kalasars. The thing that made me suspicious of, of if... it's That made a lot of sense on one level, but on another level, I was like, ah, that won't work because what do these guys do? What's their... what? You tell me, you're a little more expert from the books, right? What's the primary activity of this horde of... Uh, Dothraki. Well, yeah, they, they kill and trading. loot and sell slaves. I don't know if it's primary, but it's part of their primary activity, yeah, so which is, you know... Fundamental, we'll yeah. say, you know? Like, uh, maybe this is enough for them to, like, abandon that whole thing. But their society is still, on some level, built around that, just like these cities are. They It just doesn't work. It, however much you want it, however morally correct it is, when you have a system established a certain way and you suddenly have an upheaval, there's going to be problems with that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of supposing that even if they have a willingness to just stop all slave trade, their total culture just is willing to change overnight, there's going to be some pragmatic issues with it. Some of this labor is dependent on to gather food and water and et cetera, et cetera. And I just don't know how realistic it is for her to take this huge culture of people, dismantle their economic system, and then overthrow other cities with it. You know what I mean? I don't know how well, realistic it is for this to play out. This is a good. That's a good question to raise, and I actually addressed this in the book show last week because I had some similar questions. So I'll I won't completely uh, go over all that again. But I will say that Danny is basically at this point uh, proven, perhaps proven that she is the stallion who mounts the world, not her unborn dead unborn son. She is the one kind of. 
doing the things of that prophecy. She's, she's fulfilling that prophecy. And if the Dothraki recognize her as that, as some, as like the savior, as like the avatar of their religion, if she wants them to stop slaving, they'll do it. I mean, it won't be easy. Like you said, it won't just be an automatic thing. But they, but this is like an otherworldly being that's prophesized, giving them commands. Like she's, if she can get them to follow her, she's a woman. They never follow right. a woman. She's yeah. already broken through that. Presumably, we haven't seen it yet, but they bowed to her, so it seems yeah. like that's happened. If she can get them, she already convinced, called, got Khal Drogo kind of indirectly to, yeah. to vow to cross the water. No Dothraki had ever done that before either. That, these are all, and those were religious things. Those were like superstitions, religion. The slaving thing is part of their economy. It's part of their tradition, but it's not a religious thing. It's not like a, it's, it's pragmatism. It's like, well, we don't kill the slavers because that's who we sell stuff to. You make, you know? yeah. Uh, what you're saying makes Basically, a lot of sense. Basically, religion trumps tradition. Yeah, I can you know? see if and, they and are cult. recognizing her as the Messiah. Yeah. You know, that that may be enough. That's a big trump uh, card. <laughs> now, here's, there's still some, it's a big trump card, but there's still a few issues. Sure. For example, imagine in the real world, if Jesus came out of the sky. <laughs> if, like, the, the clouds parted and CNN reporters are there with cameras and everyone's looking at the TV and Jesus comes down from the cloud and says... I have returned, and I want the government to stop collecting taxes. <laughs> It'd be hard for us to deny the reality of the Savior returning, but it's still going to be a problem. Taxes are paying for Medicare and the road construction. Like, we, this is going to take a minute. You know what well, I mean? Jesus, like, what do we do instead? You got yeah. another alternative? He's like, nah, just stop doing yeah. that. Like, <laughs> and what if he yes, said something? Lord. <laughs> that, what if he said, now I want to remind everybody, adultery is a sin. Like a think shit. Of, of all the people everywhere, <laughs> and even if Jesus comes out of the sky, I still think some people still won't believe or won't reject or won't be strong enough. Some people are still going to commit adultery. Yeah, it's a completely so, unprecedented mm, kind of thing. Like, yeah. who know how do you react to your, the savior of your religion appearing before yeah. you? Some, some uh, in this people, case, they bow apparently, but after that, yeah. it gets more complicated. But you're talking about <laughs> thousands of people are going to be following her. Yeah. Tens of thousands of people? Yeah, yeah right? for 100,000. Including some people who have been absorbed from other cultures. And yeah. Mm. Are they all going to completely buy into, agree, and be able to operate, not just not starve, organize as an army and conquer multiple cities? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This is... This isn't something that's going to happen in a line of dialogue yeah, I, two I, episodes later. This is like this is like a whole nother show. This is like eight more books. I don't know how this is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you like, wonder how they're going to resolve this. It, it feels it will probably be a little rushed because that's just you know that's yeah. some, somewhat standard for them. But hopefully they'll do it in a way that at least we can kind of extrapolate the the, the, the reasoning behind it. We can say okay, well this if you take what they said here and, and and take that a little further, then that means this was also said and this was all. And it kind of works. So we'll have to we'll have to hope they handle it well. So let's 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 go ahead and move on to that. We've kind of talked it. We've been going back and forth between Maureen and Danny and and all this because it all just ties well together so much. And so let's talk about Jorah and Dario a little more. There's not a whole lot to say with Jorah and Dario. They they kind of did what we thought they would. It wasn't quite the way we thought it would happen. Um, we got a nice cool overhead shot of of Ace Dothrak. That was pretty cool. And we got their limb jawing back and forth like they do. And the grayscale reveal. That was interesting. Yeah. Dario sees it. He didn't freak out. He's like, you know what happens? The right is like, yeah, I know what happens. Yeah. I thought like, that was a pretty powerful moment there. I think that yeah. uh, I, I almost wish that, I don't know how they could have done it, but I, <laughs> I, I felt in that moment, I was like, I was kind of putting myself in drawer shoes. Mm. I was kind of like recognizing the, the suffering he's facing, that the, he's soldiering through it, the, the, the pain he knows is coming, the, the horror of it, what and he's being tough about it if you will you know um, 
I don't know. I think that was like a. <laughs> did you have any discipline? Well, well, you didn't I get did. any discipline well, as a did. child, like, did you? No. None. none. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff there. And the actual sneaking into town, you know, that's that is what it is. That's kind of it's kind of pretty standard action stuff. And them finding Danny, that was really cool. Like the way that all goes down, you really didn't expect it to go that way. I thought it was pretty clever too, the way Danny kind of glommed onto the younger Lazarine Khaleesi and was like I can I can make a friend of this one because she hasn't been there very long. She's young. She didn't have a full life. She's like she probably got some things in common with Danny. And it also was really well done because of how little they had to do to tell you a lot. Like they show like when they're talking to each other, the, the Lazarine Khaleesi says, "Is it true that you have dragons?" Which tells us that everyone knows this about her. That's why when the big moment happens. They already know she's this mother of dragons, so they, they kind of already know this. Like, well, she's been captain. You know, she's a slave. There's at least a buzz about. Right. And she looks so unique, too, compared to yeah. everyone else around. So that, like, they're, like, she's very noticeable. And so they're like, oh, wow, they, they captured her. And then all of a sudden, she killed all the calls. Like, <laughs> holy crap, she really is special. And then she walks out of the flames. Like, I can believe them. Like, some people had a problem, a, a, an issue with them just bowing to her like that. But pretty, upon reflection, I, I, didn't, I didn't have any problem with it at all. Because it's just so amazing and epic. Like, she kills all the calls in a society where strength rules. She kills all the leaders. And she's just this unarmed woman. And they already you know, think they already have a very sexist culture, very patriarchal culture that doesn't give much, uh, you know, much to women at all. They don't have the ability to rule, really. The only position of honor they have is this Dosh Colleen, which is, Danny says, well, it's more than some people have about how they yeah. at least get, at least they take their advice. But still, it's not much. It's compared to what the men get in this society. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty paltry. So it's just, you got to put some, put yourself in the shoes of a Dothraki or the moccasins or whatever they wear. <laughs> This is what she's done is incredible. It is godlike. It's she's she's survived the flame. It's beyond just like sorcery and witchcraft. It, be, it goes beyond that because this is not. I mean, it's just because it's just so spectacular, and and she doesn't have the reputation of being like some sort of sorceress. She's some sort of semi divine being, you know, who birthed dragons and. They already knew that. So when they see her have, they know she's birthed dragons. This like confirms it all. This is like, well, maybe that was a rumor. Maybe she doesn't really have dragons. Maybe that's just something the story is like, whoa. She just walked out of the flames. Like she did not, that didn't kill her. It didn't even burn her. Like her hair isn't even burned. Like, whoa. (laughs) So uh, yeah, in a society that respects strength, this is, I think, an appropriate reaction. That like strength above all. It's not just that they respect strength. Strength is everything, you know. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's a proper reaction. I, I can I can see an argument for, on one hand, they're a society that respects strength, but on the other hand, they're a society that you know fears magic or whatever. But, And once again, with that many people, if, oh, it seems like maybe one guy in the back room are like, I'm not bowing to her. <laughs> yeah, there might be a few of those, but uh, yeah, they're the... They're the... And um, that, that's kind of what I would, would expect if they were really were going to hash the story out, that there would be some sub-factions and she would still need some diplomacy and it Tyrion will make the peace or drawer or whoever, you know. But, it was uh, clever camera work there. They showed the two <laughs> the two Dashkaleen, the two ones that had lines, the older one who was kind of friendly to Danny, and the young one that helped her with her plot. And they also showed a few warriors. Like, they made sure it wasn't just, like, random people. It wasn't just, like, guys, you know, like, wearing rags. There was, like, a couple of dudes in the full, like, regalia, and they were bowing, too. So you got to see, like, a full, you know, like, a subset, uh, a sampling of all the different people yeah. that were there in the crowd. So that was, that was clever. Unlike some of the other <coughs> crowd scenes where they just had a mishmash of people, I think they, they threw a little nuance in there. And I thought that was nice. I appreciated that. 
Um, and speaking of the Lazarine Khaleesi, there's just in terms of the logistics of what how that played out, I think what we're meant to think is that Jorah and Dario may have been the ones to like put some oil inside the do inside the Dosh Kaleen hut thing, but I think it was the Lazarine Khaleesi. I think that makes more sense because she's like, no, you know, don't kill her, <laughs> first of all. Good thing it wasn't Jorah that grabbed her from behind because that's the you know, grayscale arm. <laughs> but he's like, you know, trust, you know, trust me, don't betray me. You know, got her help too. I think that was part of it. I think, I think, because that she would be able to walk in there no problem, and no one would think, who are those two guys going in there? She, yeah. she can go in and out no problem. So all they had to do was wait till everyone was inside, kill the guards, and bar the door. That's a little easier because they, they, you know, it's not like them going in and moving around and spreading oil or whatever. Pretty sure there had to be some oil spread around the way things went went up so quickly. But it also is a straw. Like there was the ceiling was made of straw. Yeah. So like the fact that it went up quickly, maybe it was a little over the top. But if you can. If you can um, uh, imagine that there was oil spread around, it makes some sense. Also, I like how it was done. There was some, we're talking about the actual moment of the big reveal, Danny doing her, you know, killing everyone. <laughs> and they were, it was like Carl Morrow, first of all, Carl Morrow apparently is one of the stronger calls because he was kind of like holding court there. The others were kind of deferring to him. And that makes sense yeah. that the strongest call would be kind of, you know, the one with the largest colossar would be the one that like gets to kind of be in the middle there. And he starts to get a little frustrated because it's like in the first time we see him, he's kind of like laughs it off. He's like, this, this, she's got some, she's kind of tough, you know, but now, by the time he gets kind of mad, he's like, she just will not be scared. Why is she not afraid of us? Why yeah. is she just like not intimidated? It's like, he's, he's like, you crazy see, you know, calls, he's like, he's like, stands up to her and she's like, still isn't afraid. And because she knows it's good. And she puts her hand on the metal and you, you, this camera pans past, and some of the directors are like, "Whoa, what? How is she doing that?" And it kind of—they're already a little stunned because this little woman is just like talking down to them, and they're like, "So they don't know what to make of that." They're yeah. just—they respect strength, so they're like, "Well, she's clearly brave. She's facing us and doing this." But they're also, she's also—you know—they also have contempt for her, and so they underestimated her, just like the theme of this episode. And there's a little pause. She pushes the flame over. And they back off, but then some of them start to rush her, but the other brazier is just right there. She shoves that down, and it blocks the ones who are coming at her. And I liked the scene more the second time, because at first it was just so over the top. I was like, whoa, how did, like, I didn't, I didn't, I felt like something had to be, some of the details had to be wrong, given everything. Yeah. But upon reflection, it all worked for me. Yeah, I also, the first time I watched it, thought in my mind, like, oh, this is silly, whatever, the point is, you burn them all up. That's kind of how I talked about it. But I went back and watched the second time, especially considering the idea that the the younger widow uh, had set things up, you know? Because it seemed to me like when the, the, the brazier hit the ground, that fire kind of, like, spilled out yeah, across really the floor. Yeah, it really flew across, And yeah. so I thought that maybe there was like a pool of oil in it that spilled out and spilled. I didn't even think what you said, that maybe it was like coated on the floor or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, but when I, especially if you consider that there was some other amount of preparation or sabotage involved. And, and again, watching the angle, like she pushes the first one down and they generally scatter, but a, a couple do rush her, but then she pushes the other one down toward them. Then they go around the back. And at that point, it makes as much sense to get out of the building as it does to rush her. Yeah. And they do. They try to get out of the building, and the door's <laughs> locked, and then she pushes the other ones down, and they can't even get at her anymore, and if they did, it wouldn't matter as much as getting out of the building still, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So I uh, 
she was basically in the eye of the storm. Like they, it was hard to approach. Like they, at yeah. first, they had a shot at her, but she was too. You know, like she's standing right next to two, both braziers. It was they're both in like arm's reach, so it wasn't like a it wasn't a stretch. <laughs> it was only a small stretch for her yeah. to reach across and tip another <laughs> one over. And very intimidating when they see her and they're like, "Whoa, she's just like not being burned. What the heck is going on yeah. here?" So it gave them. It was an appropriate like astonishment, and that that little hesitation is all she needed to to do the deed. I feel like we're sort of coming toward the end of talking about Danny, but I wasn't done talking about Tyrion. Sure, yeah. we can go back <laughs> to talk about Tyrion. Yeah, this is all kind of goes together. This, yeah. this episode has been hard to stay focused on because of the way things all relate to each other so much. I want to say how much I liked those scenes, uh, from the dialogue to the acting to the thematic elements, uh, with the first meeting with the slavers, then meeting with the former slaves, and uh, and uh, Grey Worm's reaction to like you know don't. Don't use me in your uh, yeah, this is political most trickery of, here. This is mo- uh, as emotional and angry if you've seen Grey Worm yeah, and the Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And uh, understandably, because you can kind of see that Tyrion, again, coming from wealth yeah. and having made these, having dealt with these types of people before, this is old hat to him. Yeah. It's like, I know what to do. Give him some whores, offer him some money, let him say what they need to say to save face. You know, the, what did they say? He's got to like, stroke their ego. That's so important. To these we're not people. supporting the harpies. I know you're not. But also, don't support the harpies. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 I'll play your game. Sure, you're not supporting the harpies. But don't support the harpies. You know, it's it's so different from... And in fact, I've, I, it was, I was realizing how, this is the most I've enjoyed Essos. Oh these yeah, scenes with nice. Tyrion, and I don't know how much it's to give credit to Tyrion or Peter Dinklage, or maybe the idea that we have someone of a different uh, standpoint, if you will. Here, everyone else before has been like a bunch of Ned Starks, right? Everyone's like, "Let's do the right thing. Let's do the right <laughs> thing, everybody. Let's do the yeah. I agree. We should do the right thing. We should do the right thing. Sunday, right thing. Yes, Grey Worm, right thing. Yes, embarrassing. Yes, yeah, yeah, right thing, right thing, right thing." <laughs> now we have Tyrion saying, "You guys have been trying this right thing for a minute. It's not really working. Maybe you should like try the realistic thing one time. We can yeah. kind of work the right thing in with the reality that we have to deal with and mm-hmm. come compromise. Maybe you know." And uh, yeah, but you get the same sense as like for Sunday and Grey Worm. They're like. How long were you? Like, you think you see you know what it's like? It's like, yeah, I was a slave for a few days. Like, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't teach you anything, man. I mean, you you can get the, like a slightest hint of how horrible it is, but man, try living there through that for years. Try being made into a eunuch. Try being, you know, a sex slave. You know, that's yeah. that's really something. One of our friends watching it with us uh, was reminded of the scene from Zoolander mm-hmm. when uh, Derek went to work in a coal mine. It's like, I think I'm getting the black lung. You've been down there for one day, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so did you have any more more thoughts on Marine and on Tyrion and Danny? This really, yeah, we could just go on all day about yeah, that scene. There was a, I agree. Like some people have said, I've heard from some people, including our, our friends, and, and then sometimes I agree with them, that in some spots the dialogue is occasionally weaker, uh, and that's sometimes blamed on the fact that they aren't pulling it from the books anymore. They don't have book dialogue to draw on anymore. I didn't fully agree with that. I Sometimes I, sometimes I see where their people are coming from with that. I, but like you said, the dialogue in this episode was very strong. Yeah, yeah. Very strong. One of the strongest episodes, dialogue episodes they've had. Maybe the strongest show-only dialogue because there's almost none of this was drawn from the books. I, I think I can say that without being spoilery. This is, you know, we're past the books for the most part with these plot lines, so it couldn't come from the books. In some cases it could because they can, you know, they can always pull things back. You know, there's, there's lines from this season that happened in book one, for example, you know. And I'm sure there'll be kind of some vice versa different combinations of that but 
yeah, really, they're doing a really good job with the dialogue in general this year. And like you said, you're, you're more keyed in on these things than I am, but the camera work and some of the shots they're doing are pretty creative and very, um, you know, their work to give us more to talk about, more to think about. And it's a, it's a thing, you know, with the visual medium, picture's worth a thousand words. That's part of why we can spend so much time talking about these episodes it's not just the pictures, it's the dialogue and the, you know, and the, the predictions, and the music, there's so much to say. So, yeah, good time. So, uh, yeah, what else did you have on uh, anything else there, or should we move on? Um, well, I do want to think a little bit about, uh, well, like, one of my thoughts there is how this is going to play out. Because on a certain level, especially if you ignore, like, if you could somehow watch those scenes and not see the facial expressions of Miss Sunday or Grey Worm, <laughs> It seems like Tyrion's tearing it up. It seems like he's like, got it all under control. But we we are shown the expressions of Grey Yeah, Grey Worm's like, his jaw like, is like, mm, yeah. he's like, mm. There's a, at best, Sunday looks you know, distressed. suspicion yeah. and dissatisfaction that maybe in the long run they'll come around and see that it's all worth it. But one thing we, we know, almost impossible, they're not going to show us seven years. We're not going to see this seven-year plan play yeah. out. So is it not going to play out because some more drastic measure? Is going to be taken, or is it not going to play out because it's going to move? Danny's just going to go to Westeros anyway. Uh, I'm not sure, uh, but however it plays out, on what level will Tyrion maybe like revert back to be more idealistic and realize these guys can't be trusted and we <laughs> should have maybe killed them somewhere in, in the war? Middle, maybe? That, you know, yeah. like that's still I still appreciate Tyrion's like, look, what do you? Yeah, I agree. Slavery's awesome. Instead, we should kill everyone. Like there's, there's <laughs> two weird, there's two bad things here, and trying to compromise between them. Uh, well, they they've and they from their perspective, Masande and Grey Worm, they have been following a leader who is uncompromising and idealistic. So right, right. in comes someone who they don't even know that well, who is like trying to do it do it maybe what we would from an outside perspective consider a bit more pragmatic. But they're they don't know. You know, this is they don't know that they they grew up. As slaves, they don't really, they, they never had a chance to really develop a worldview that incorporates lots of different ways of thinking because they've been shuttered from that world there. And now this has all kind of been exposed to them all at once. Yet the person who freed them from it shares their values in the uncompromising, like idealistic, like, no, we're going to end slavery. There is no, and Danny was starting to learn the, the problems with that. So you think that maybe... When she comes back, if she doesn't just stomp over everyone because she's got a gigantic colossar, yeah. she might, you know, be like, yeah, well, I was starting to see this. Because, like, well, like with the slave that was like, hey, what do I do now? Like, I had a position of honor. Like, yeah. I was a teacher. Now I've got nothing. You know, and that was like, Dane was like, huh, I never thought of that. That's the kind of thing Tyrion would think of. Yeah. And that's that's why she needs him. Because he's he thinks of those kind of things. But... With that, but she, but it's also important to not compromise too much, <laughs> yeah. you know. And and I really do wait to see. I really wonder how Danny's going to react to what Tyrion has done, and maybe she'll be like, "Yeah, well, you, this is the best you could do." But now I've got a lot more military might. We can, we have a lot more leeway or leverage. Um, maybe she'll congratulate him for doing the best he could with what he had. I don't, I don't know. I even if she was upset with him on some level, I don't think she's going to like chop his head off. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that uh, Missandei and Grey Worm still supported Tyrion. They were upset about it, but they waited till they were alone to express their concerns. They they were able to come up with some politi politically correct lines to keep the peace in the moment of contention. Yeah, you don't you don't and, they, uh, they know not to be contentious with 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 each other in front of the other side. Yeah. You, you present a unified front. 
argue about it behind the scenes. Yeah. So they're on top of that at least. That's really smart. You don't like like um like it was with Barristan, I believe, when he was like, Don't you know, don't don't do this with the dragons or whatever. Don't sell a dragon, you know, or Jorah was like, Don't do this. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, well, she this it's the time for this is you needed to if you wanted to argue with me, not in front of the you're not in front yeah, of the enemy, yeah. you know. <laughs> the uh I, I thought it was interesting uh, how Grey Worm got the last word. I, I wonder what kind of foreshadowing was there, if any. You know, it seemed like they it was, kind was, of foreshadowing, was sure, yeah. making his point, and they were still upset about it. And he was—he was—it was like there was this back and forth between his logical points and their emotional concerns. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's when it seemed like Tyrion had made all his logical arguments, and Grey Worm still got like, "No, they're going to use you." You know, like I wonder if. Grey Worm's naive, or Grey Worm's underestimating Tyrion, or is Tyrion naive? Is Tyrion underestimating them? Maybe a little from column A, a little from column B. I think I yeah. think Tyrion is. He knows he can't say anything more. He's not gonna. They just, there's no point in arguing at that point. He's just like, well, I'm just gonna have to convince. Him. I'm just gonna have to show them. He's gonna. Like, sh I'm gonna show them that this works, and then maybe they'll believe me. I have to get him drunk, <laughs> which they just don't want to do. They don't like drinking. Never damn it. it. <laughs> so he doesn't have. He doesn't have that option. Okay, so. Do you have any more on this? We could talk about Winterfell real quick, and then we can move on to our credits and post discussion. Well, I did want to. I wanted to talk about something that was uh, maybe a little more broad. Okay, sure. I've heard a few times uh, a reference of the prince that was promised and yes. some sort of a prophecy, mm -hmm. and I don't know how much of that is just me hearing conversations or what I because I've I'm into the second book now mm -hmm. and. But it's such a blur with what's in the show. And, yeah, it's hard to keep one and, both uh, hands straight. Yeah. The, uh, but I think there isn't there not some pro that this Melisandre. It's like this. She's following some sort of prophecy. Is right. this some vision she had, or is this a prophecy that everyone knows or kind of knows about that she's it's particularly yeah. in tune with? It's and how much of that should we know about in the show? Can I ask you about this without spoiling? I I, readers, I can I think I can dance readers? around it without being too specific from what's in the books. The it's definitely a belief of that religion that there is a prophet that's, or not a prophet, that there is a savior that's going to come. Just like there's, a, just like the Dothraki have that, the stallion who mounts the world. It's kind of like there's a kind of a parallel savior thing going on from multiple different religions, and they each have their own version. They're all kind of. It's like kind of how each culture has its own version of the flood myth in the real world, which indicates that there probably was some sort of real flood, which is why so many different cultures have a story to, to go with it. Because on some level, it's probably true. Uh, so, in this case, the prince that was promised, yeah, it's supposed to be the one to the the hero that's rising to fight the dark, oncoming darkness. And so that's why Melisandre was like, well, Stannis is the one that's going to stop the, the White Walkers. Now she thinks it's Jon. And, well... I don't know if she's right. It seems John is, seems like a better bet than Stannis, but <laughs> is there more to is there is is it is it this vague story or is it like a you know a poetic five line prophecy? Is it something that you could uh, she well if key aspects to it that it's, you could it's name basically like with the comet part of it. The comet was a bit part of it. Yeah, um, it basically, if you go back to season two and you hear what Melisandre is saying in that first scene. Not well, not the scene where she where the maester tries to kill her, but the scene where they're burning the seven gods. Okay. I guess that's actually the first scene, and then the other one comes after. I don't know, whatever order they're in, where she's burning the gods and burns uh, the Florent man as well. And that's what that's when they do the when she brings Lightbringer the sword that she's calling Lightbringer out of the fire and gives it to Stannis and all that. That's 
she's she basically reads the prophecy out loud at that point. Okay. And it's it's something along the line. I, I don't I shouldn't say it exactly because I'm not sure how how they've changed it. I can't remember how they changed it from the show to book, but it's basically saying that that you know when the when the red star bleeds, you know uh, the the prince that will that was promised, also called Azor Ahai, which may or may not be the same person, different version of the same myth or legend perhaps will be reborn to. Uh, yeah, to do things. <laughs> I won't say more. I don't. I don't remember exactly what's in the the show version of that. But it's it is sort of spelled out. So folks, if you want to look, you can. I highly recommend looking up in the Game of Thrones wiki. You'll get the full story. Just look up the prince that was promised. You get the full story from what we know as a show point of view. I definitely don't want to go too far and explain things that are book only canon. And like Sean says, it is hard to keep track of which is which. So, but but, but yes, it is. It is. Fair, established. It's been brought up several times in the show. It is a bit vague, for sure. But that is how it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to have clear answers yeah. on magical prophecies and how they resolve in the world. Maybe not clear answers, but it's just occurred to me how much I enjoy thinking about what, where things are going. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I think a lot yeah. of people watching Game of Thrones speculate. A, a big joy and value and social aspect of this show is speculating on where it's going. Yes, And I feel like... That prophecy holds a bunch of clues, and I feel like I should read up. I should remember to rewatch that scene. <laughs> yeah. I should be more in tune with those clues. I kind of want to rewatch the scene when uh, Danny went through that Hall of Visions or Hall of Illusions. House of Undying. Yeah, House, House of, of Undying. Undying. Yeah. I bet there might be some more meaning to some of those scenes if we were to watch them again at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's a it's a it's it's very. There's quite a lot that happens in that equivalent scene in the book too. There's a lot going on there, and uh, they couldn't because of the difficulty in in that type of medium translating visions to the screen. There's a lot they had to leave out. They also added some things, so it's kind of cool. So it was it was fun seeing that on the screen because and and trying to analyze the differences. We weren't we're doing show reviews back then though, so we don't we can't say hey go back and listen to our review of <laughs> episode three season two. I don't know. We uh, we we didn't start this that long ago. We were only doing book stuff back then, so. So yeah, that's really interesting, the, the the whole concept of this prophecy and how this is an underlying theme that's been building up and building up and getting, just we get little more hints of how it all works and what it's supposed to mean as we go on. And whether or not it's really John is a big open question. Seems Melisandre certainly convinced, but she was convinced before and was wrong. John certainly seems to check off more of the boxes based on what the prophecy is saying, you know, being brought back to life is something. But Beric was brought back to life. He wasn't the prince that was promised. I yeah, mean, probably yeah. not, you know. And so he wasn't as young and handsome, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key. <laughs> but he did have a flaming sword. <laughs> so, so that's a big open question. So I guess what we'll do, folks, is we'll, we'll we'll look up, we'll do some research for next week's episode. We'll get we'll give a more thorough explanation of the prince that was promised prophecy for how, what it means to the show. Maybe we'll pull all the details together. Something we do a lot in our you know, book review episodes, we pull together details from all over the place, try to make, connect the dots as much as possible. A lot of times when you connect all those dots, it becomes clear. Sometimes it becomes less clear. But in this case, it should be more clear because it's not very clear at all right now. Uh, so I think we'll be able to help with that quite a bit. So look out for that next week. Also, speaking of next week, we're going to get this episode out a little bit earlier. And I don't mean we're going to publish it earlier. We're going to open it up so people can watch us while we're recording it. It'll be a live broadcast, which isn't much different than what we normally do. We just record the, we record these live straight to YouTube so they can be out as quickly as possible. But we'll open it up so you can watch while we're doing it. So a couple of you all can get in and, and be watching this a little ahead of time. 
because I know some of y'all are sitting there hitting the refresh button, waiting for this episode to appear, waiting to hear our thoughts. So we thought we could speed it up just a little bit without sacrificing any quality. So that's uh, so look out for that next week. We'll be posting an invite to that. And we'll probably do it a few other weeks this, this season as well. We figure the uh, halfway point's a good time to do that. We're going to do a Q&A at some point as well, open it up for questions. That time will be TBA. We'll probably wait till just after the halfway point to do that, and that, that probably won't be on a Monday either. So keep stay tuned for more details on future episodes outside of our normal schema. All right, let me do our... Well, no, we didn't. We didn't talk about Winterfell yet. Let's talk about uh, Bolton and Osha real quick. There's not a whole lot to say there. Oh yeah, but we didn't cover that specifically, so we'll do that, and then we'll come back for our discussion on what we've learned about Episode Five so far. Yeah, I see. So that did seem like a setup. Ramsey kind of tricked Osha. Osha comes in thinking that he wants to sleep with her because she's like she says. She says, "Well, I know what men want, especially when they have me bathed first. Yeah. <laughs> And so, but he was just, it was sport for him. He knew that she was going to try to do something and he was ready for it. And so it was like a thrill. It was like an adrenaline rush for him. He's like, I'm going to let her almost kill me, but I'm going to kill her first. And that's just more of the same of Ramsey. That's just kind of Ramsey in a nutshell. You know, he's just a, he's a sociopath who gets thrills from danger and from hurting people and killing people. And it was too bad that Osha didn't have a bigger role coming back. kind of looking yeah. forward to her. I liked the way she, I liked her character. I liked the way she talks like Ramsey says I like how you you, know, you talk well yeah. you know and it was true she was she was a good talker there she wasn't afraid she, I loved how she brought up the fens like do you eat them afterwards and he's like no <laughs> <laughs> his, his facial acting was great in that scene it was just like his reactions to her were hilarious and uh, she's like yeah well then I've seen worse <laughs> it's like nice <laughs> it was a bit like Danny standing up to the calls they're just like threatening her and she's just like I'm not worried about it but much different result. <laughs> yeah, I was disappointed. Uh, not not in the show, but in the action. I, I, I liked her character. I didn't want her to die. Yeah, and, kind of makes uh, sense in retrospect that she just doesn't seem like she has much of a role to play. I mean, she could have. They could have given her a role to play, but, you know. Yeah, it would have been. I don't think many people would have been disappointed if she had succeeded. It, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would have yeah. been, uh, been unexpectedly soon. Yeah. But, yeah, I would have been like, whoa, that was not how we thought this would go. But instead, <laughs> it's... Uh, it's, it's things seem more dire for Rickon now. Yeah, they do. He says one less ally nearby, one less person for Ramsay to pick on instead of him. You know, I'm sure he's next, right? You just imagine how this is going. Ramsay's like, bring me the girl. Yeah. Bring me the boy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yep, what's next? Yeah, I think we're going to maybe, maybe that'll be soon. Maybe we'll see that coming up soon. Who knows? Okay, I'm going to do, well, it's time for our credits and acknowledgments. And... Once we get through that, we will be back with our spoilery chat for next week, Episode 5 Talk, the next on Game of Thrones. We did a little analysis of that, and we'll see what we can do. So if you don't want to be spoiled on that, see you all next week or on Wednesday if you tune in for our book to shows. So appreciate you sticking with us this season. We know we've been having a lot of fun, and it is sure to continue. So if you do want to hear our spoilery discussion for next week, well, we'll be right with you on that front. First of all, thanks to our Patreon supporters, such as First Lord Cash Craig, Hand of the Crane, Hand of the Crane? Hand <laughs> of the King, Lord of Mines, Lord of Makers. My mispronunciations are just a part of the show nowadays. We, we <laughs> never edit them out because, I don't know, they're funny? Anyway, 
You got to have a little, you got to be able to make fun of yourself a little bit, right? <laughs> Lord Jim, the fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West is next on the list, followed by Lord George Stormsville, the cunning Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Lord John Reed of Castle Woodbridge is the Lord Borealis, the Light of the North and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington, Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs and Warden of the South. Also, Roy the Rorg, Archer Extraordinaire, and King Beyond the Wall has been slowly conquering the lands beyond the wall. And with two episodes a week, that's a lot of conquering. So he's, And since they were mentioned in this episode, just now by us, in fact, we'll say that Rory is busy with those cannibal fens. Because, you know, it doesn't seem like that would be an easy job, does it? Cannibals keep you busy. They do, they do. Lord James Inkblade leads off our list of the small council, the Scholar Knight and Master of Whispers. They are in far less danger than the small council on the TV show. Lord Robert Jacobs is our Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever is our Master of Laws. Thanks for the letter recently, Rosie. Lord James Tuttle is our Master of Ships. Now for our lords and ladies in their castles. Lady Dyerless is of Castle Naki, and she's the Alpha Patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell is our Breaker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Velt is Lord of Castle Ganges. Kabeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light. Mary Meg is Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort. Alicia Everlasting of the Greenblood is Lady of Desert Rose. Jeffrey the Unflinching is Lord of Sand Lake. Lord Grey Bay is of the Queen City. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Lord Brandon Slate is the North's Hammer and Harbinger of the Old Gods. Lady Brame is Light of the Winter's Garden and Beacon of the Northwest. Lord Mark Joseph is the Snow in Winterfell. Two new names we have here, Ashlyn Winter, the Hawk's Eye, Lady of Castle Skyfall, and Lady Mikkel of Moonacre, leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance, the WPA for short. <laughs> Great names there. Also, King's Justice Sir Troy the Steady is wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Whenever we need someone executed, we call on Sir Troy the Steady. Lord Commander Dubbington, the Red Bear, is head of our King's Guard. And we also have our History of Westeros Night's Watch, commanded by Lord Commander George the Golden, and assisted by First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Greenshield. If you want to get a title like that or support the show... In another way, you can go to our website. There's a lot of ways to support the show. Patreon links are on the right, as well as links to Amazon.com, Audible.com, as well as PayPal. You can do a straight donation if, if Patreon isn't for you. You can shop through our Amazon links to support the show. Anything you buy there gets us a little kickback, so you can do your shopping at Amazon instead of some other place and pay no extra money. That's always nice. Audible free Audible trials work like this. Sign up, get 30 days for free, including a one free download. And I learned recently that their third most popular title is Game of Thrones, book one. How about that? So a lot of people loving the audiobook experience of Game of Thrones. A great way to get through the book without having to sit down to read. I, I love sitting down to read, but I, I recognize that it's hard to find time to do that. So if you've got a commute or you've got chores... You got work you need to do around the house. You got exercise that needs doing. Strap on those headphones, listen to Game of Thrones while you're doing it. I find that to be very enjoyable. A lot of you probably are doing that right now, listening to this podcast, but you could also be doing it with the audiobooks. So check that out. History of Westeros. We've got all you all those things covered there. It's all very self-explanatory. Historyofwesteros.com. All right, onward. Also, well, also thanks to Sean for joining me again. Always good. And thanks to Ashea for our behind-the-scenes work as well. 
And we, of course, we have our episodes on Wednesday for book readers. And we'll see you guys then if you're into that. But let's talk about the trailer for episode five. There's some juicy stuff in there. We get Sansa confronting Littlefinger about, did you know about the Boltons? Yeah, yeah. Did one. So we talked about that about a bit, whether he did. I think he might have and just kind of expected her that, that to, to use that as leverage to say, hey, we need to go rescue her and get the Vale armies moving. I think it'll be an interesting moment, but I don't think Sansa's going to get the truth from him. You know what I mean? <laughs> the <laughs> truth from Littlefinger. She's Little no Finger, faceless yeah. man. I agree she's with you no, there. <laughs> <laughs> he, it's not like Littlefinger hasn't thought about what he's going to say to her. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, he's prepared for this moment. He knows he's going to have a, the, a reunion. He I'm knows, interested yeah. to hear what he has to say and how she responds to it. Yeah, the way and he I'm lies also, is interesting. <laughs> I'm also, yeah, yeah. I'm also interested... Who else is going to be in our room? Mm. Jon Snow will be there. Yeah. Davos be there. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder yeah. who else will be present and, for that conversation. And what room is that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that, is that the Night's the Wall? Wall they, or yeah. Are they going to go down to the Vale? Or is, yeah, are uh, they going to sail around, you know, in ships to get up to the north? Or are they going to go up through the neck? I, it's really hard to say. They could easily just ferry across into, you know, across this area here. If we're looking at the map here, they can just go from here to here, you know, like this. They don't have to go up through the neck. There's a lot of possibilities Probably kind of hard to see that, what I was doing there, but take a look at the map and you'll see what I mean. I wish I had thrown this out during the main part of the episode and not this little end bit, because I want so bad for someone out there. I want some art. I want to commission some art mm-hmm. for Game of Thrones. I want Jon Snow dropping a mic. <laughs> <laughs> I want that, and I want, uh, I want the, the little finger teleporter. Want, yes, uh, the some kind of boat or carriage or something, <laughs> <laughs> like kind of coming in. What's that game where you like go through the portals? Man, it might even be called Portal. Or some kind I think of it's game. called Portal. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I want like I want there to be like I don't know King's Landing with like the back end of a carriage entering a portal mm-hmm. and the front end of a carriage coming out at the wall or Winterfell or something. I want a I want a shirt that has just Gendry. Just rowing, yes. you know, still <laughs> rowing, you know, with his arms getting massive from all that rowing. It could be rowing. A, his sigil. <laughs> That's his house words. Still rowing. <laughs> you know, it's a big, the, the, a, an oar and a large arm. <laughs> this is crossed <laughs> on a shield. Okay, so what else do we get from this? We also have uh, what appears to be the king's moot. Now, there's some interesting nuance in the oh, yeah. scene. We have Asha. We have we have a, the old priest. Aaron Dampere saying that's his book character name. We assume it, it's, it's confirmed that this is the same character, but his name hasn't actually been said on the show. It's another uncle. Which um, character? The priest. The okay. priest. Okay, all right. And he is, he's saying, who claims the salt throne? And Asha is coming through. <coughs> Euron, not, nowhere to be seen. So he's not standing there. And there's a shot, a separate shot of a whole t- ton of ironborn ships what look yeah. like ironborn ships yeah. but when you're seeing the scene of who claims you can see the shoreline for a long way behind him there's a the 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 the, the sea is very visible and there's no ships yeah so, so it makes you think that someone's gonna moment. like yeah some sort of either the ships are just on the other side and i'm just reading into this too much or you're just gonna appear and be like swoop in and be like i'm taking over you know i should maybe take a close coming look. in like Coming this, in strong. The, what I wondered when I showed those ships was if those were ships incoming or departing. Absolutely. Maybe heading out on a mission. They maybe could have been heading out. You're absolutely Yara right. Yara is the king now and we're going to go attack whatever. You yeah, know? that is absolutely yeah. possible. I, I lean towards them coming, but it could be them. It could also just be them gathering. It could just be a shot. Right. Like to show the king's mood is like everyone's there. You know? Yeah, that, I, that was the other thing. Multiple I possibilities. In, in fact, I, I, I seem to remember there being talk of 
ships being gathered. Yeah. Maybe it was much farther in the timeline, but didn't at one point, like, uh, Balon wasn't letting any ships depart to keep it secret that he was assembling his fleet, yes. right? So yes. I don't know. That seems like that was forever going on. That can't still be the case. Yeah, they, they already know. He's, he's already right. independent. They've already, like, yeah. made his move, yeah. Um, but there's also, okay, this is something we didn't, this is on the list of things that we didn't get to talk about today because it wasn't in the episode. There was no follow-up to the brand stuff. There was no, like, yeah. continuing, there's no, like, further talk about John's parentage. There's nothing, no more about Liana, at least not yet. But it doesn't even appear that we're going to get that next episode because the scenes of Bran are awesome, yeah. but they don't yeah. seem to have anything to do with John or the Tower uh, or any of that flashback to the Kingsguard. It doesn't seem to have related to that at all. But we do get... <laughs> is a very interesting shot that was on IMDb that was moved. It's not there anymore. Of oh, really? four children of the forest with sitting there, including Leaf, the one that we've seen, mm -hmm. just sitting there crouching, and the background is leafy green. There's no snow. There's no winter. So it's like, what is he seeing? And uh -huh. if it's one of the, re the children... Okay, in the books, the children live for uh, a few hundred years. We don't know that that's the case in the show. They could be a lot more ancient beings. For, for example, the... The three-eyed raven, they've made him older, too. So this could just be an extension of that. But he, so, he, so he could be seeing the really distant past, or he could be seeing something more recent because of the age thing with Leaf. So we're not, it's, it's really unclear. But either way, it's awesome. And this is, he sees the Night's King, and he sees, I freeze-framed that shot. There's a tree, yeah. a frozen uh, tree I, surrounded presumably. by black stones. And yeah. then the zombie army is facing off, and Bran's in the middle of it, and then the Night's King appears, and it's like, whoa. And you may you wonder if the Nice King is aware of Bran's presence at all. And you think he is because in that one trail he grabs Bran's arm, and yeah. then you have Mira shaking Bran, going Bran, Bran, yeah, like he's like yeah. he's stuck in the vision or something. Yeah. It's like whoa, I cannot wait to see that. <laughs> okay, we're running short on time, so we can't really linger on that. Just get hype. That's really all. That's <laughs> that's what I've got for you there. We see a scene with the red pri a red priest is talking to Tyrion and Varys, saying, yeah. "You know so much, but you know there's so much more that you don't know," or something along those lines. Like, Varys oh. seemed almost in dread there. Yeah, and we know Varys hates magic, so like, yeah, and we already they already encountered a red priestess in Volantis before they got separated, and she she like looked right at them, and they were like they were creeped out there. So we're seeing the red priest besides Melisandre and finding what they believe, and seeing you know we're gonna we're gonna see it's not just. Melisandre isn't the only red priest. Well, we've also seen Thoros, but now we're going to see like the real, the religion of coming into it, like the whole thing. And that stands in contrast to the religion of the Faith of the Seven that's becoming a big deal too. So we have these two worlds like really building up. Okay, we don't have time to, to stay in with that. Mm -hmm. So that's really it. We have one, we have, uh, that's all we had for the trailer that's coming on. So I think uh, we'll have to, we'll, we'll end it here. And... Look for you guys next week or on Wednesday if you're in our if you're listening to our listening slash watching to our book to show. So appreciate you all coming out to watch us today. We'll have news on how, what we're going to do next week and, and put up a link for watching this episode live next week. So on behalf of Sean and all the rest of the history of Westeros team, thanks again, everybody. Valar Morgulis, Valar re everything. Just Valar. We'll just leave it there. Valar. E Valar Pluribus Unum. <laughs> I'll have to come up with a different one every week. That's rough. Uncommon Valar. <laughs> okay, everybody. Thanks again. We will see you all next week. Get hype. Oh, we're not quite halfway through the season. Fun things still happening. And I can't wait to continue with you guys going through this season, having a lot of fun. Adios. Till next time.